The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We are live here on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. I'm Rich, alongside as always, the King of Banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? Merry Christmas! Yes, it feels Great. like feels like I just talked to you three days ago, and then four days <laughs> before that, and I've talked to you a lot this weekend. I've talked to a lot of people this weekend, but but I'm glad to be doing this uh, early early flagship edition here on a Tuesday because uh, we are not recording on Christmas Eve uh, this year so or any year. I don't think we've ever recorded on Christmas Eve or day, right? Never been insane like that. <laughs> We're not wild here, but uh, um, yeah, no Merry Christmas to you as well. But the live listeners are getting, are getting the show on Tuesday. Right. Yes. Because we are $10 subscribers are getting the show on Tuesday. Everybody else hearing this is getting the show on Christmas or Christmas Eve. Uh, I think Christmas, what, well, what would it be, Thursday? I, I've lost track of what day anything Thursday, is these days. Thursday is Christmas Eve, so they're getting it Christmas Eve. Yes, they'll get it Christmas Eve. Yeah, maybe maybe Christmas Eve morning, Christmas Eve afternoon, sometime around there. We'll, we'll, we'll drop it for you. So. Happy Hanukkah! I think it's Actually, over. Hanukkah, yeah, it's Hanukkah's over. over. Yeah. Um, happy well, belated Hanukkah. Belated Hanukkah. Yeah, Dwali's over as well. I know you're you're a big Dwali fan. Kwanzaa is not over. Kwanzaa is the 26th. Correct, correct. Yeah, as well as Boxing Day, as well. So we'll do a special Boxing Day show, um, as well, immediately after Christmas. So. I love hitting all the holidays. We did this many years ago on this show. I like hitting them all. Yeah, know. that's when you buried. Uh, what was it? Buried Three Kings Day or something like that. I didn't bury any of them. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you buried Three Kings Day. But... Oh, we we didn't. I included Three Kings Day, and you didn't know what it was. And then we had a whole thing where you know we were both looking up three kings day for the next half hour got it got it okay i wasn't sure if it was a burial or you you were yeah okay yeah no i do remember that now i had no idea what it was and you explained to me what what it was and and i learned something that day so that's always you know that's always a positive too my gimmick is no happy holidays just name the specific holidays yeah just name them all yeah what you should do is when you try to say something like that you should just name like seven different holidays to people and one of them will be what they celebrate and they'll go oh thank you (laughs) you know i mean so you, you rattle them all off all right forget the shorthand to be like, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Three Kings Day, whatever those other, what were those other dopey ones you said? Uh, Three Kings Day, uh, Dwali, Dwali for the. Uh, Never Hindus. heard of that, but Happy Dwali. And uh, what's the other? Oh, uh, Boxing Day. That's that's some kind of Canadian. Thing, yeah, right? it's like a Canadian. Um, yeah, we we don't have to really acknowledge. Is that I was... even like a. Is that an end of the year gift celebration? Like yeah, I, if I remember correctly, the history of Boxing Day. Well, it's not. It's not maybe the <laughs> the nicest thing, but uh, I believe it was the the day when the poor or the uh, folks that worked for you, but maybe you didn't pay them, 
uh, would then get their day where they would get gifts and they, they got a day off where they didn't have to uh, work. So um, I think that's the history of Boxing Day. I, do, I don't know if I'm entirely correct about that, but I'm almost positive that that is, that is what it is. So I have a feeling a lot of people hate that one. Um, I could be wrong. You know what I mean? Like, cause people, I think people like it. I mean, like, cool, like places that I know like, do celebrate Boxing Day. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it isn't as like uh, terrible as I think it was. Maybe it didn't start terrible, but it became terrible type thing. And maybe we've taken it back. I honestly, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I don't know enough about Boxing Day to really continue talking you, about you Boxing really, Day. So. You sound like you're talking out of your ass. I mean, I it thought that's like, what it was, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, ah, just in case. Like, I, I don't know if that's actually what it is. So, um, sounds like you know very little about Boxing Day, and you're filling in blanks, and now you're tugging your collar because you feel like because you're not confident in the blanks you're filling. Correct. That's what this correct. feels Festivus. like. Festivus. Festivus is, is uh, what tomorrow, right? Seinfeld, really uh, doing Festivus. Festivus. Yeah, they're, they're really doing that. Then, yeah, I think that's tomorrow, right? Yeah, twenty third, twenty third, Christmas Eve, Eve. Mm-hmm. If I'm exactly, if yeah, I'm no, mistaken. exactly, yeah. You know who's doing Festivus? I guarantee it, Mikey Falcone. <laughs> oh, he does. He does every year, right? <laughs> I guarantee he's doing it. Guarantee. Probably RJ City too. He probably does Festivus. These big TV guys are into that. Um, oh, what else? The ten dollar list. In addition to hearing this live. On Tuesday, Rich, the $10 subscribers also have an opportunity to call in on today's show, which we've only done one other time in the history of the flagship. Do you remember the other time that we did call-ins? I do. I was actually remembering it uh, this morning as I was kind of getting stuff set up for, for the call-ins. We did. It was either our 100th show or something anniversary show, and we decided – it was an absolute unmitigated disaster because we were, we were recording on Skype at that time. And essentially, we just gave people the Skype number and said, call whenever you want. All right, call and we'll, we'll put you on. And all that happened is the entire time we just got 15 calls. I, I couldn't even concentrate for a second during the show because as it's going on, there's just calls coming in, calls coming in, calls coming in. I'm, I'm, no idea who they are. There's random area codes being thrown at me, unknown callers, random cities. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? It was an absolute disaster. And, and, and we it was a terrible show, just an awful, awful show, like one of the worst ones we've ever done. And it actually got all resurrected at the end when Yatsume. Remember Yatsume? I do. He called in. We had we hadn't heard. He had gone dark uh, for a while. If people don't remember uh, Yatsume. Uh, best way to. I, I don't. I actually don't know what happened to Yatsume. I hope he's okay. Uh, more than anything, but uh, he was an early uh, an early flagship fan and an early kind of New Japan America guy as well. So he was in Japan. But what he would do is, if you wanted to order any you know New Japan merchandise. He would kind of be the liaison. He would say, hey, here's what they have. If you want to order anything, just let me know, and I'll do it. So he would do that. He would translate promos. He would translate the website. When Back when New Japan really wasn't reaching out to the American fan base or the Western fans at all. They were not doing anything for the English-speaking uh, fans for the most part. So Yatsume was like one of the first ones. He was like the early, like, the, like not, not totally different than what Jay was doing uh, for Dragon Gate. But, uh, you know, we always kind of thought that he had a little bit more of a connection to New Japan than he actually did. Uh, and then I think one time he tweeted out that, hey, I can't sell merchandise anymore. They now know, uh, so I have to go away now. And then he just disappeared for like six months. He appeared on our call-in show, called, and said, yeah, I'm good. I'm doing okay. And it was like the most amazing moment, just a random call from a guy in Japan uh, you know, telling us, yeah, I'm okay. I'm fine. Never heard from him again. No idea what happened to him after that. So um, he, he also, in addition to um, helping people uh, buy New Japan merch. I have an Okada shirt New from Japan- him, by the way, too. I have an Okada shirt and a hoodie from, from Yatsume. 
Yeah, because it wasn't like now where you have the what is it? What do they call it? The Tokan Global yeah, Shop. Yeah, yeah, the Token Global it. Shop and all that. Well, we there's none of that. This was the this was like when people first started discovering New Japan in the West on a on a widespread basis and difficult to navigate the Japanese sites. So this guy, because he spoke English, would help him, you know, you know, for a little taste, of course. He wasn't doing it out of kindness of his heart. Uh, so for a little markup, a little taste, he would he would get you the New Japan merch. The other thing he was doing was he was one of the very early New Japan translators. Yep. He would he would translate the promos and he would translate things uh, while live like while live tweeting the show. So you're on Twitter, you're watching the show on UStream or whatever the case may be. This was before New Japan World. There'd be a promo going. He was a vital follow because he would translate all of the promos. And all of the post-match promos and things like that the next day. So he became a very popular figure on Twitter. What I think what happened was, I think he got overwhelmed with merchandise orders. And I think it just overwhelmed him and he just fucking disappeared off the planet. I haven't I haven't heard a trace from that guy in probably, what, six years now? It's got to be around Maybe there. It's got to be, yeah, it's got to be five or six at, at, at the absolute. I mean, and like I said, before he called in on the show, he had gone dark for like a year or like six months or something like that. And, and obviously he was still listening and still kind of, um, you, you know, aware of what was going on because, yeah, he called in and was like, hey, you know, guys, I really have, I love you guys. Uh, thanks for keep, you know, keep doing the great work. We're like, oh my God, Yatsume, like, what's up, man? How are you? And he was like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm all right. And then, like, dark, just never heard from the guy ever again. He might still listen. I have no earthly idea. I know a lot of people went wild with rumors that, like, the, the Yakuza got him or, you know, Kojima maybe, you know, showed up at his house one day and did, like, you know, just crazy stuff like that. And, like, I, I mean, I can't disprove that, but... uh let, Listen, they, they wouldn't send Kojima. You know who they'd send Hanma. Tenzan? Oh, Hanma. Oh, my God. Yes, they'd send Hanma, yeah. Send Hanma. That's the, <laughs> that's the Yakuza voice, connection yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. um, he's the guy. He, but, uh... But yeah, no, the guy disappeared. I think he just got overwhelmed, and who knows? He probably rebranded under another handle and is uh, is is listening right now, for all we know. And uh, you know, I I just think it got too much for him because when he started that little project of of helping people get the merch, I mean, it, it wasn't you know, New Japan blew up shortly thereafter. So I think the guy just got flooded. I know a lot of people had to put in. Uh, PayPal claims to get their money back. You know, the last few people who ordered, who after he disappeared, they never got their merch. Right, right, right. So, I, but I think a lot of those people did get their money back. All that you know, uh, to put in claims or whatnot. But at any rate, he was on our first call-in show, which um, was our. It was a worked hundredth show. It wasn't really the hundredth show because we didn't know how many shows we had done. <laughs> we still barely know. But, <laughs> we don't know, but we knew it was around a hundred. And we were looking for a hook, do a show that was going to draw some more downloads. So always the workers, we decided, all right, let's just say the next one is the hundredth show. We'll we'll take some calls and uh, we'll try to pop a number here. So that was the mindset behind that. It was like maybe the hundredth show. We don't know. We're not sure. And uh, and we took calls. And like Rich said, you know, he was like one of those nineteen fifties. Uh, telephone board operator <laughs> at AT&T. Yeah, trying to he couldn't couldn't keep up with it all. And um, you know, it was basically just people calling up and kissing our asses. It was tremendous. Oh, congratulations on the 100 shows. You guys are phenomenal and it was basically just like a a, a Rich and Joe Wankoff section session. So, um, no. I had a joke to make there, but it's not the third hour yet. <laughs> yeah, but, let's let's wait a little bit, yeah, before you make that joke. But uh but yeah, so we'll take Now listen. 
Rich has been taking calls behind the paywall for some time. Okay. We've been workshopping this. Rich knows what he's doing. This is the first time we'll take calls on the actual flagship since that 100th episode, uh, quote unquote, 100th episode extravaganza we did, probably like 2014 or 15 or something like that. This was many years ago now. We're grizzled veterans of this game, Rich. We have been doing this uh, a very long time. I know that makes you depressed. But, um, you know, next year is 2021, right? Mm -hmm. You know what that means. The year after that is the the 10-year anniversary (laughs) of this show. A decade, a solid decade of this show. So we need to start planning now what we're going to do. That first show in February of 2022, because our first show was February of 2012, and uh, figure out what kind of show we're going to do on uh, on that day. But we got a year to figure it out. Uh, today's show, we've got tables, ladders, and chairs. Shockingly, pretty good show. We've got Dragon Gate Final Gate. We've got Ring of Honor Final Battle. A lot of finals. There's a lot of finals going on. A finality, in a very a, 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 a show of finality, no doubt. Speaking of finality, the deaths of Zeus and Kevin Green. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Good lord. Both faced their final battle over the last week God. or so. Um, no cause of death on Kevin Green yet. Nah, I don't love it. Yeah, I don't love that we haven't. Yeah, that's never a good sign when you they say Kevin Green, fifty-eight, dead. You're like, oh, I got, a, I got. <laughs> got a million Kevin Green. Now, he's been out there and active. He does charity stuff, and he was a coach last year for the Jets. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, got you know that staff gets turned over seemingly every year. Um, you know, he, he was a Super Bowl-winning coach with the Packers a few years before that. So he's out there. You know, he's got elected to the Hall of Fame in 2016, Pro Football Hall of Fame, one of the greatest pass rushers in the history of the NFL, uh, uh, you know, between Rams, Steelers, uh, Panthers, and uh, one year there with the 49ers. And then, of course, one of these guys who we've talked about over, who we've spoken about over the years, who took to wrestling like a natural when he was given a chance to do it in WCW. But um, I have so many memories of Kevin Green because, of course, he started his career with the Rams, with the Los Angeles Rams, before the St. Louis Rams, before the return to Los Angeles, the original Los Angeles Rams. Um, drafted in '85, became a starter in '88, and I have vivid memories of that final regular season game in 1988, Sunday night football against the 49ers who had already clinched the division, but needed the game to make the playoffs. If the Rams beat the Niners final game of the regular season, Sunday night football, they go to the playoffs. If they lose the giants go to the playoffs. And I lived in New Jersey at the time. All my friends were giant fans. So I'm watching this game, Kevin green, three sacks in the first quarter, four and a half sacks in the game. He was uh, destroying the 49ers offensive line so bad that the Niners pulled all their starters at the end of the first quarter and the Rams rolled. I think they won the game like 38-20 or something like that. Got that final playoff spot. And the Giant fans and the Giants themselves were irate that the 49ers threw in the towel. But you couldn't blame them. This guy was unblockable. He was going to murder Joe Montana if they didn't, uh, if they didn't pull him from the game. And it's not like Steve Young coming into the game is, is that much of a drop-off. So uh, what is this? Uh, what, 32 years later? When was 1988? 32 years ago, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, So 32 years later, I don't want to hear a word from you Giant fans, okay? Uh, l- listen, 
beat their ass in the first quarter to the point that they pulled their starters. Okay, that's how that game. Guy had three sacks in the first quarter, but that was Kevin Green's best game as a Ram. I'll never forget it. Uh, they were a very good team at 88 and 89. Kevin Green was the best player uh, on that defense. That was the Jim Everett, Henry Ellard, Flipper Anderson Rams. You might be a little young to remember those teams, Rich. Probably. Yeah, I, and I'm not somebody who's ever really gone back and watched a ton of old football. Like, I, what I'll do is I'll watch, like, the NFL films, like Super Bowl films or whatnot. So I know, like, the top teams. I know the top players. But, yeah, I, 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 I do not remember that team. And, obviously, I was I was one years old, so I wasn't actively watching them or whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, I I know the names. I know the names, of course. And I I, I know, obviously, the history is behind them. But, I mean, really, my Kevin Green that, that I remember mostly was was uh, with the Steelers. And, and I was a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan growing up. Um, uh, don't ask me why. I have no idea why. Maybe the Cordell. I, I always loved Cordell Stewart. So, maybe it was a Cordell Stewart thing. Uh, but I don't even know if he was there uh, then. So, maybe I even liked Pittsburgh before uh, he even went there. Uh, but I remember even then, he was like, you know, we're talking – you know, 94, 95, that era, you know, he's, he's 33 years old, 32 years old, and he's still, like, leading the league in sacks, and he's still, like, unblockable, and he's just an absolute beast of a man, and I, if I remember correctly, until, like, his final year, you know, with, I think, Carolina, right, he was still, like, really good, like, really, really good, and then just, like, I don't know if it was just, he was just kind of done with it or sore or whatever, but, like, if I remember correctly, like, even his final year in Carolina, he was still damn good, he was still a really, really good player until the final days. Oh, Kevin Green holds the all-time record, I believe, for double-digit sack seasons past the age of 34. So, um, yeah, he had – he went he, – from Pittsburgh, he went to Carolina for one year, then to San Francisco for a year, then back to Carolina to finish his career. And he had 12 sacks in 1999 with Carolina in his wow. final season. God damn. Like, uh, and he started in 85. Like. 85. These are his final four seasons after he left Pittsburgh. Three with Carolina, one with the Niners. Uh, 14 and a half. These are all sack numbers. 14 and a half, which led the league. 10 and a half, 15 and 12. God damn. That's really he good. <laughs> 12 at the age of 37. Started all 16 games. He forced three. He had three fumble recoveries and a forced fumble that year. He could have He could have continued playing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure his body was breaking down on him. The other thing about Kevin Green, 160 career sacks. 23 forced fumbles, 26 fumble recoveries, and two touchdowns as well. Five interceptions as a pass-rushing outside linebacker. This guy was a beast. Legitimately one of the greatest uh, 3-4 outside pass-rushing linebackers of all time. One of the greatest pass-rushers of all time. And he played at the same time as Reggie White and Bruce Smith. So, you know, and, and Lawrence Taylor. So it's very easy to kind of get lost in the shuffle when you're one of the greatest people of all time to do what you do, and there's three people playing at the same time who are somehow better than you. I mean, think about that. So he didn't always get the recognition that he maybe deserved, but at the end of the day, he did get elected to the Hall of Fame. I think it took way too long. I mean, he's the third all-time leading sacker in the history of the NFL. I mean, and he didn't get – he didn't end up – he retired in 99 and didn't end up in the Hall of Fame until 2016. I mean, that was a travesty. Um, but – at any rate, he finally got his recognition. Great player. I have great memories of him as a small child, like I just said, uh, watching him play for the Rams. We knocked the Giants out in 88 by beating the Niners. And then, Rich, the next year in 89, the Rams played the Giants in the wild card game and beat them in overtime on a 48-yard Flipper Anderson touchdown catch. Okay? And, 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 uh, and on that touchdown play, uh, that was in the Meadowlands, by the way, on the road, Anderson catches the touchdown in stride and keeps running through the end zone right into the tunnel all the way to Los Angeles in what was a you know pretty famous uh, touchdown catch uh, for the era. Yes, oh yeah, definitely I went, remember. I definitely remember seeing highlights of that one. It's awesome. 
You remember the flipper catch? Oh, of course. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Just run in and then everyone's following. He just runs through the tunnel and everyone kind of follows him. And it's, just, it's nuts. Yeah, it's awesome. He just didn't stop. He ran all the way back to L.A. And and so uh, I went to school that. Now, remember, I, the, the Rams burned the Giants the year before. I'm living in New Jersey with a bunch of Giant fans. I go to school the next day. My Rams hat, a satin starter jacket, L.A. Rams. You remember those satin uh, oh, of course. starter oh, yeah. jackets? Oh, yeah. And I'm all decked out. I'm trolling, and I nearly got jumped in the schoolyard. Here's a troll in these Giant fans. And I remember the teachers had to come and break it all up. So, uh, JL getting canceled at an early age. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's really... why we say you can't get canceled. You were, you were, everybody already hated you when you were eight. So it's like, you know, what is it going to do to you? Never now? really yeah. stopped. Yeah. Right? It's, everybody still hates you. So it's fine. Yeah. To be honest, it never stopped. But, uh, they got theirs, you know. The Rams went to the NFC Championship game that late that year and lost like forty nine to three to the Forty ers So uh, that was a disaster. And then you know they all shit on me for that. But those are my football memories of Kevin Green, who was a phenomenal player. Uh, Rich, talk about his WCW stuff a little bit. Yeah. So so for WCW, he made his debut. It was uh, Great American Bash in ninety six. He teamed with uh, Flair, uh, or no, he he teamed with uh, Steve McMichael, Steve Michael McMichael, who was who was getting into wrestling uh, at that time as well, famed, you know defender from you know the bears and i think he did the packers and i forget what other teams uh he played for i mean most prominently i think for the chicago bears is what most people would, would, would at least remember him and i i can't escape him because he's on every fucking tv commercial and he runs for city council and mayor and shit around here i you have no idea how much steve mcmichael i've seen that guy like i i get annoyed seeing steve mcmichael at places because he's been everywhere i've every trade show every fucking Anything, a- anything that you could possibly imagine, Steve McMichael's there with a booth, and there's a bunch of people waiting in line to get a picture with Steve McMichael. Still to this day, still in 2020. So, um, yeah, he, I think he was mayor of, of a, a local town uh, here as well, which I don't think went well, but believe it or not, that Steve McMichael not maybe the, the best guy uh, to be the mayor of your town. So, uh, Great American Match 96, he teams with Steve McMichael against Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, and it very similar to like Lawrence Taylor at, at WrestleMania, where it's, you know, you see McMichael, and McMichael did not take to wrestling, like, I don't think as as easily as some other guys. I mean, it was a little rough for him. So when he brings oh, you, in... Oh, you oh you, oh you think? Yeah. <laughs> he did until the days that he finished. The best part about Steve McMichael, the best part about him is somewhere along the line, it's just perfectly WCW, they decided that that guy should do pile drivers. They started having him do pile drivers. Like... No, <laughs> just have him run into guys. Just do the tackle. Just do the fucking spear, the gore, whatever you want. That is his only move. That's all he needs to do, and we're good. But uh, WCW decided, no, we need to have him get a little bit more uh, tricky in the ring here. Uh, let's try a pile driver or hey, a shoulder breaker. That'll be great. That's not you know, dangerous at all. Uh, so, yeah, it's McMichael and Green uh, against Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. And the real story was that Kevin Green was like, Really good, like really, really good to it. He took to it well. Uh, he cut great promos. He just seemed like a guy who, who clearly, not just somewhere to Pat McAfee as well. Like I, I think McAfee's obviously way, 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 way better than Kevin Green uh, ever was. But I think what what was evident about Kevin Green from the moment he came in is that the dude got wrestling. He understood wrestling. He understood the showmanship of wrestling, and he he, he did a lot of that in the NFL as well. But he wasn't a guy that seemed like weird out by it, or, ah, this is beneath me. He looked like a kid in the candy store. He was ready to go, ready to cut promos, and especially cutting promos alongside or, or, or you know, next to someone like a Ric Flair. It was obvious that that guy, like, absolutely loved what he you know jumping into the wrestling ring uh, and doing that sort of stuff so he was really good right out of the gates like really really good uh that was it for 96 uh he then came back for slamboree 97 he teamed with rick flair uh this time uh against uh, roddy piper 
or it was it was Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Kevin Green versus the NWO. Uh, I don't remember that being quite as good, but I do still remember him being pretty solid. And then he worked a bunch of other times. Great American Bash '97, he actually faced. Uh, Steve McMichael, because Steve McMichael turned on him. He hit him with a uh, uh, a briefcase. I think it was Deborah's briefcase or whatever the hell she was called at that time. I guess she was Deborah, right? Wasn't she Deborah? I forget what she was called at this time. But anyway, she uh, so Steve McMichael hits you know uh, Kevin Green over the head with a, a briefcase. They have that match. It's it's obviously not very good, but not really because of Kevin Green. Uh, and then he actually does two more matches as well, which you know these are kind of the the forgotten ones I would say because most people remember uh, the Great American Bash '96, probably the most prominent one because that's like the main event and a big deal. Uh, but 98, he actually came back as well, uh, faced the Giant on Nitro. Uh, it was a DQ. I forget exactly how the finish was. And then at Bash wasn't of the that, Beach. Wasn't that wasn't that uh, DQ finish? Didn't that wasn't that to set up a pay per view match? Exactly. Yeah. And then at Bash of the Beach, like a, a few weeks later, uh, it was the Giant versus Kevin Green, and the Giant beat uh, Kevin Green there. All right. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, which is the right finish, obviously. No, of course, yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely the way to go. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it, his run was a lot of fun in WCW. Like I said, he the promos are really cool. Uh, he's clearly just energized by being in wrestling, and that great, I honestly, literally, that Great American Bash '96 is a match that if you have never seen before, you should go check out because I do put it in the pantheon of whether you want to say a Pat McAfee or a Lawrence Taylor or those, you know, a star or a celebrity who comes in and is just like pretty good, like way, way better. Uh, then they probably have any right to be, and 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 it's obviously an asset to be, you know, a natural athlete the way that Kevin Green was. Uh, but he's a guy who who got it from day one, and 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 that is sometimes the biggest struggle uh, when when you bring in a celebrity or a, a, an athlete is that they just don't they don't get what wrestling is, and Kevin Green absolutely got it. D'Angelo Williams, another one. Yeah, oh great! Oh my God, I, I don't know how they didn't. Like, how did they just let him do one match and then go away? Like, well, he didn't. He didn't want to do him. Oh. He, he he made it clear that he was fulfilling a dream and he had no interest in in doing it further. Because mm. I, I'm I, I'm I'm positive they would have wanted him to do more. He was the best of the, of all. I mean, he was just well, McAfee's up there too. I mean, I think McAfee probably matched D'Angelo Williams, and Kevin Green wasn't too far behind. I mean, like you said, also the way he just. Uh, carried himself like a star and understood how a pro wrestler is supposed to behave and not in an over-the-top way either. He wasn't playing a pro wrestler. He knew how to be a pro wrestler. And he did do a lot of those antics on the football field and on the sideline. He was known as a very uh, energetic and, uh, you know, boisterous kind of player. So, but yeah, he was very good. Um, I, I think he, didn't he work? He, I think he was with the Panthers at that point. Didn't he wear Panthers gear as well with the silver and the blue? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I remember that. They were like little like, kind of half shorts or whatever, like little biker shorts or whatever. Yeah, and he, he always wore – whatever his gear was was always, you know, aligning with <laughs> the team that he was on at the time too, which is a nice touch. Yeah, so, um, yeah, really good uh, pro wrestler. Now, he was – now, that's the thing. Wasn't he – because what year – he was active. He was active. He was an active pro uh, pro football player. When he was doing those matches, right? Because oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is we're talking uh, June '96, uh, May '97, June '97, June '98, July '98. Like this is it's like in the midst of his career yeah. and, and like you know early training camp, you know, or, or right before training camp, basically. Played through '99, so you know, had he not still been a full time football player, oh, he may have uh, taken this up. Who knows? Um. Uh, Different times, too. I mean, there's no way a professional team would allow one of their active athletes wrestling now, right? Oh, God, no. Yeah, no. I, especially in today's, like, you know, with athletes making as much money as they do and, 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 and you know, 
teams being so invested in 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 you know every in and every aspect of an athlete. I mean, we honestly, you know, it, it seems like you know, nineteen ninety seven doesn't feel like that long ago. But I mean, when you when you account for how much different like athletes treat their bodies and how much different teams care about their athletes bodies and maximizing their potential and maximizing their outputs or whatever i mean you got guys on like sleep schedules and you know what i mean and, and mandatory naps and stuff and like these guys i mean kevin green ain't taking fucking a mandatory nap that you tell him to take you know what i mean like that's we're still in the wild wild west uh, of of athletics and and yeah that's 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 few and Talent. far between. Yeah, that's few and far between these days. Now you have like a, a few athletes that do that, and they're like the bad apples, and nobody really wants them anymore. And most other athletes are just yeah, like meticulous about their craft uh, and making sure that they're the best at whatever they do, and and not necessarily you know fucking around with stuff like this. So yeah, um, but that was uh, Kevin Green. So and now I guess we need to talk about Zeus, another guy who only wrestled a small handful of matches, and um, you know, he didn't come from. Uh, the sports world. He came from the movie world. Of course he did. Um, him in a Hogan movie. It's, it's slipping my mind. No holds barred. No holds barred. Hulk Hogan in 89. And then of course, uh, McMahon came up with the idea of turning the heel in the movie into a heel in real life. Uh, to the point that even heel promoter from the movie briefly became an on-screen character in WWF. Um, so it was all very, a very bizarre, you know, melding of the film world and the wrestling world. And, uh, Zeus comes in and he teams with Randy Savage at SummerSlam 89 against Hogan and Beefcake. And look, the guy was huge. What was he? A legit six, seven, six, eight, tiny list. I would say, yeah. I mean, I, I know they put him on risers too, to make him even that much bigger, but I mean, he was still a huge five. dude. Yeah. He is six, five. And, and more than that is his girth and his weight was just like gigantic. He was just like huge, huge man. Huge but dude. yeah, yeah. I forget what, I forget the exact uh, weight that he was, but I mean, he was, he was built like a brick shit house and yeah, legit six, five. And I think they put him in risers to get him up at least taller than Hogan. That was one of the, the visual they wanted is him being taller than Hogan to really put him as this like insurmountable monster of how oh my God, how is Hulk Hogan going to be able to, you know, Take, he's taking down Andre. He's taking down this guy. But how is he going to take down Zeus? <laughs> From no holds barred, no way. But uh, they did it well. I mean, it was. It was. I mean, I know the buy rate was was pretty damn good for for SummerSlam '89, and you know, I remember it being a pretty cool story. You know, going back and rewatching some of it. Yeah, he he. You know, Tiny Lister did bit parts in the time. He was in Friday, I think. Yeah. Oh no, no, definitely and, uh, Friday. Friday is the movie where he fights Ice T, right? Uh, yes. Ice Cube, right? Ice Cube. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he was in Friday. Million other movies you've probably seen him a million times. He's just an intimidating looking guy because he had like he could cross his eyes, right? And he was always uh, shaved bald, and you know he was you know six foot five and and jacked to the gills. So he always uh, you know he was perfect for sort of a bully role or um, you know those kind of bouncer, uh, a, a bouncer, a guy that's you know if you're if there's a drug dealer and he's got some muscle, it's probably Tiny Lister. If you watched a movie between 1988 and, and you know, 2008 or whatever, 2010, 2011, I forget how long. I, mean, I think he was still going until just a few years ago. Uh, yeah, if you yeah. if there was ever a drug dealer and he had some muscle with him, it was probably Tiny Lister. So. Right. And um, so they did a whole program. I mean, it wasn't just a SummerSlam match. They brought him back for Survivor Series on DiBiase's team, you know, opposite of Hogan's team. Then they did uh, that experimental pay-per-view once once the movie ran its course in theaters. Okay, uh, what they did was they did this package deal and called it No Holds Barred the Match the Movie. And, you know, for whatever price you got the movie, then after the movie, a bonus tag team uh, steel cage match 
with Savage and Zeus again against Beefcake and Hogan. And that was the blow off. So um, they tried to squeeze every last dollar out of No Holds Barred and this dude. He lost all three of those matches. Um, and then that was the end of him, you know, after the uh, the match, the movie gimmick. And uh, until 1996, when WCW brought him in, um, I get, I'm sure it was Hogan's idea when, when it was Hogan and Savage. I, I think so. The, yeah, I think I could safely predict that was Hogan's idea. Yeah. So. The triple cage against basically the entire company. Yes. Every, so. every heel in the entire company so. versus Hogan and Savage. And they beat them, of course. So. Yeah. The Alliance and Hulkamania. Yeah. Arn Anderson, Kevin, Kevin Sullivan, Lex Kevin Luger, Sullivan. Ming, Ric Flair, the Barbarian, the Ultimate Solution, uh, the Unfortunately, mentioned finally solution, which somebody said, uh, let's maybe make that, uh, maybe let's change that name to something else. And then, of course, Z Gangsta, who was, uh, was, was Zeus, of course. Right. And uh, ultimate solution was Jeep Swenson, who's also dead. Correct. So he died a couple years ago. Well, a couple years ago. Oh, my God. I just looked it up. He died in 1997. If I would have guessed, I would have been about 20 years off because I didn't think it was that Holy long Holy shit. Ago. It was a year after this match. Jesus. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He he had a, he had some runs in Texas, but he was a huge. He was one of the largest humans you'll ever see. Jeep Swenson was about four hundred pounds, but of muscle. He, he, he wasn't like a fat guy. He was like, ever look at those like uh, muscle magazines in the grocery store where the guys are just unhealthy, lar- like. You're, uh, I see him all the time to... for work. <laughs> I talk about my work. I see those guys yeah. all day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, where it's just, just like... yeah, it's just they, they, they're they're grossly unhealthy. It looks like you can hit them with a pin, and their entire body is just going to deflate. And every every part of their body has a muscle on it, and it's all flexing at the same time. And there's veins everywhere, and it's just like disgusting, absolutely disgusting. That was that was Jeep Swanson. Jeep Swanson. Yeah, he looked like he couldn't fit in a car. Like he looked, he was so big that he couldn't even like bend, he, and he literally couldn't move any part of his body at all <laughs> at any point. He was not a very good wrestler. No, every few years, somebody in Texas would give him a shot because he obviously looks like he's money, but he was uh, awful. So they dug him up for this match as well. And then, of course, Hogan and Savage just, you know, ran through everybody like a hot knife through butter. That was when Hogan was just, you know, in peak power. And if you put Hogan in in power, kind of stuff you get where he's winning. I'm surprised it wasn't Hogan by himself against of these guys yeah he did give he gave savage a little bit of a rub which is, is believe it or not i'm sure he he found a way to, yeah. to beat savage a few days later or something like that so i'm surprised I was... savage didn't turn on him in the match because that's what i thought they were gonna do it's hogan you know what i mean so uh that 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 match was that was it for zeus slash z gangsta i see on cage match he wrestled a one match in puerto rico a double count out against Abdullah the Butcher. That sounds like the worst fucking match in the history of the... I, 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 God, I wish... I, I, I kind of hope that's somewhere, that there's a tape of that somewhere, but I also don't really want to waste 10 minutes of my life watching it, but... Um... No, I would love a tape of that. Of 1990, Abdullah <laughs> and Zeus, a double count out. I mean, one guy who just doesn't sell, and another guy who doesn't know how to sell and who and whose whole gimmick is that he doesn't like Zeus's whole gimmick is I is that he doesn't sell. He's a monster. It is on it is so, on YouTube. So you and I, we can watch it someday. Uh, you just look up Abdul the I'm, Butcher versus Zeus. It, it is there. Classics WWC is the YouTube cha- channel. So yeah. uh, it's there. I'm going to watch out. Um, so you have one guy whose gimmick is that he doesn't sell. And that's really the only thing he brings to the table. What else is Zeus? I mean, he's there to be a monster and not to sell. And then the other guy is someone who just doesn't sell at all. Like, so 
I'm fascinated. Fuck, like, I'm fascinated how they even got outside of the ring, with, with, given the lack of selling. Like, yeah, I really. It, that sounds like a fascinating match. Um, so I'm gonna have to check that out. I wish I would have known that match existed. It was on YouTube. I just found that out now when I happened to pull up the cage match. I would have watched that before we did this show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I had um, no idea that it existed either. So. Yeah. So that's uh, Kevin Green and Zeus. Um, we're going live here on Tuesday night. Rich, do you want the uh, impact stream numbers that we're going? Ahead yeah, let's with? do it. Let's get some impact stream numbers. All right. uh, the Kenny Omega bump. So, I cannot wait to hear how much bump the Kenny Omega bump has created this week. So 55,000 viewers uh, two weeks ago, 15,000 viewers last week. Last week, they shoot the big angle to set up the six-man tag at Hard to Kill in January. Uh, this week, with give me those, I give me those bo- numbers. Give me those numbers again, just real quick. Two yeah, weeks yeah. ago was... 55,000. 55, okay. 55. 55K, Rich. Yeah. 55K. Last week... Fifteen one okay. five. That's a drop, but but all right. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that that blows away their their previous baseline numbers. They do between, they, they do between eight hundred and three thousand. Okay. In a normal week before the uh, Omega thing, uh, did the angle sub six man tag? I don't believe they promised Omega this week, although I could be wrong about that. Uh, currently, and the show's going on as our show is going on. Thirty one hundred viewers Oof. on the Impact. Switch. So. Uh, we are told that Kenny was advertised this week. Ew. So yeah. that has ran its course. People either, okay, people are either thinking, okay, no, we don't have to come back until he wrestles his match. Hard to kill. Already shot the angle. Or they're thinking, if watch this, at least, you know, 12 to 15,000 people have said to themselves, watch this two weeks in a row, and I'm not spending another two hours on my Tuesday. Or six-minute Kenny Omega promo segment inside of a trailer with Don Callis. Again. Right, right. I've right. had I've had my fill. I've had my fill of this. So uh, that seems to be what's going on there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What other thoughts could you possibly have? I, yeah, I mean that's a disaster. I mean that's that's. I mean I, at least it's on the high end of what you gave me as their kind of average. But um, you you can't you can't be happy with that. That's that's not good <laughs> at all on any level whatsoever. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, I'll be honest. They didn't give, they haven't given me much of a, a reason to kind of stick around and, and and watch more. So I, I totally get it. I, I absolutely do. Um, I got to be honest. I watched the last two weeks on Twitch because I wanted to monitor the views. Um, I wouldn't have watched this week. So just from that perspective, it kind of makes sense because I've had my fill of it. Like, all right, I've seen it. They already did the angle. They do something significant this week. I can catch it on YouTube. That's my train of thought. Ended up doing the show anyway, so it's a you know it's it's a nine. It doesn't matter, but I don't think I would have watched a third week in a row. Biggest problem for me though is not that they're doing enough with Kenny. The biggest problem for me is that Impact is atrocious. Yeah, it's just terrible. It's a terrible wrestling show. show. It's a terrible wrestling show. I don't know who would watch it. I don't know who it appeals to. I don't know what wrestling fan would would say, ah, great, it's WWE, but worse. It's WWE with less production value and and and, and in some cases worse wrestlers. I'm into it, and and like that sucks because there is some aspects of Impact that I really really like. But and I've always said this, it feels like a show that's ran by like 15 different people that come with 15 different ideas. And and no, I mean, you have the Rich Swan story juxtaposed with who shot Johnny Bravo, and it's like, what? Why these can't exist in the same universe? But they do because they think that they're WWE and and they present TV wrestling, and TV wrestling sucks. So 
uh, in the way that WWE thinks that TV wrestling is supposed to be TV wrestling, which is not the way that anybody else ever thought TV wrestling would need to be TV wrestling. But Impact thinks that, hey, well, and the problem is a lot of the guys came from WWE. A lot of people came up in that era. And it's just that's what it tries to be that it tries to be TV wrestling in, in the sense of what they think TV wrestling is. But it's like, bro, who, who wants that? But barely, barely any people want to watch it from WWE. You know, their, their ratings are plummeting as well. Like, I, I don't know if that's the way to approach uh, Impact, but that's what they've decided to do. So, I, whatever. More, more information for you. I'm now being told that this week and next week are clip shows. Oh God, <laughs> that change any? Now, does that change anything? It does. It does because I think the second people find out it's a clip show, they're out and they're done. Because, um, yeah, yeah. did promise Kenny. I'm told they promised Kenny. I'm told it's a clip show. Mm, Those are like two mitigating factors. Because no one's going to sit there and watch a clip show. That's number one. You might want to, you might have some stragglers waiting around for Kenny. Well, to do on the high end of their usual average for a clip show, maybe it's better than we think. Not saying it's any kind of rousing success. What do you think they'd be doing for a clip show with no Omega? Oh, with no Omega, we're talking thousand you know what i mean yeah 100 yeah it, it would not be good maybe maybe a thousand on the high end probably closer to your 800 900 somewhere in that range maybe maybe <laughs> but well yeah, low end they do under a thousand yeah in, right, on right, a right. real week on a real week so you think with a clip show week you would do on their low end right so they're doing on their high end so i don't know a lot to uh a lot to think about there i saw a clip on Twitter, tweeted out by Ethan Page today. I don't know if you saw this clip. I don't think I did. Yeah, I don't think I, I, I saw any Ethan tweets today. I, you know he's doing Karate Man. Yes, right? of course. So, a very, very hilarious Karate Man, yeah. Very hilarious Karate Man. An incredible bit. So funny. Um, so he's doing Karate Man, but now what they're doing with Karate Man, he kind of had, and I didn't, I just, you know, I, a 20-second video. I think what they're doing with Karate Man is, like, The Fiend, it's two different people. God. In other words, oh, dear God. the clip was uh, Karate Man uh, arguing with Josh Alexander while Ethan Page was on the floor selling. Uh, See what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Now, I don't know if this was like an Ethan Page supercut of him being wacky. So, to be fair, I don't know because I didn't investigate further because why would I? <laughs> right. <laughs> At that point, I'm disgusted. Um, with people saying this is a clip show, maybe that was just Ethan Page being wacky. Hope it was anyway. Maybe one of us could pull that up while we're doing the show and figure out if that's a actual impact storyline. Or if Ethan Page was being, you know, by Julian in that instance. Let's see what I could uh dig up here. So on his Twitter header, it's him selling on the floor from the clip. Oh boy. Um so let's see if that was because if that's a real impact storyline where like they're two different people. Um, okay, so I'm so watching karate... the video. I'm watching the video right now from Karate Man's uh, the underscore Karate Man on Twitter to see uh, yeah. what's going on here. So Karate Man's in the ring. Yep, I'm watching it too. Yeah, he's. Oh dear God. Yeah, see, no, dude. No, that's got to be for an impact, man. It says it's two in tonight. doing commentary over it? Uh, I can't tell. I'm, I'm, I, I'm recording the show, so everybody else would be able to hear it unless, well, here, well, that's fucking. So it, say, it does say tune in tonight. Here, I'll play the video. I don't know. 
The, the, so there is no commentary. There's just like random background music that plays. So. so do you see what I'm saying? It could be Ethan Page being silly. It could. Yeah, it could be. Them kind of working their own thing or, or something like that. Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out today. Or, well, I won't find out today, but somebody will find out today. So. Either way, who's who's going to see that and say, oh, I got to see Oh, that. man, that's good. Let me plop down, you know, let me plop down on the, the couch for two hours and watch Impact Wrestling. Yeah, it's. <sighs> yep. We both have the same sigh. <laughs> the same. It was a great, uh, great comment from our chat room that says, "Imagine having a gimmick so shitty that even irony indie fans don't pop for it." Oh yeah, I and mean, that's what I mean. That it, that these are the people that lose their fucking minds for Danhausen. Danhausen might as well be fucking, you know, the Road Warriors in Chicago in the NWA compared to the pop that the Karate Man got during the Collective. Like even irony indie fans are like, "This fucking sucks, dude." Come on, and the dad. Ally Cat, all of them. They'll get great reactions. <laughs> karate Man. That Karate Man match at the Collective was one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> like, if I wasn't so dedicated, my Mimosa match hate, that might be the worst match of the year. A Karate Man versus Filthy Tom Lawler. I mean, or the Ally Cat versus Kikutaru from uh, the Game Changer show in Vegas last week. It's like, I have to vote the Mimosa match on principle because it's on a AEW pay-per-view. Right, 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 right. We And our stance is always that way for the worst match of the year. There are worse matches than the ones I usually vote worst match of the year. I try to get the most prominent bad match. The match that was like, you know, the, the one that should have been better or the one that was given more prominence. Yeah, there's some random-ass indie match that I've watched that's definitely worse than whatever match I'm going to vote for match the worst match of the year or whatever. But it, it 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 it's all about what got, you know, pushed, what got prominence, what was important. And that match, I mean... Cassidy and Jericho was like a pushed match, like a big deal on a pay-per-view. Like, yeah, that absolutely, uh, in, in that standpoint, definitely deserves uh, inclusion. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's move on. We've got a couple shows to review here. We're going to start with the TLC, Rich, the WWE TLC, final pay-per-view of the year, World Wrestling Entertainment. If you want to call in and discuss TLC, get in line now. Um, Dude, real quickly, let me let me explain to our ten dollars people because there there might be people that are listening that haven't jumped in on my calling Q and A's. Uh, it's pretty simple. We have a few people I see that are in the the, the room already. So all you have to do is be a ten dollars subscriber. People listening right now, you are ten dollars subscribers. If you're listening on the podcast feed and you want to participate in one of these later and listen to us live, ten dollars. How you do that? Patreon.com/slash/VoiceOfWrestling. Uh, you have to be a member of the Discord. So just go to VoiceOfWrestling.com/slash/Discord. Uh, which is pretty easy. You, you, most people, are, I, I think a lot of the people that are 10 hour subscribers are already on there. But if you're not, uh, voiceofwrestling.com slash Discord. And then all you need to do is hang out. We have a room. So you go on Discord on the left side. You'll see a bunch of different channels. And then at the bottom, you will see voice channels. And there's a channel that says it's got a hand emoji. And it says flagship, super fans, Q&A, hold room. So it's very lengthy. But all you have to do is you jump into that room. Discord will connect to your audio and connect to your microphone, do all that sort of stuff. And then you stay in that room. And if you are ready to talk, you're in that room. If you're ready to be called on, you're in that room. And then when we want to put a call up, I will drag your name into our room, and then you're on. So you're talking, so be ready to talk. Uh, definitely when you when you find out, because it makes like a notification noise, you know when you're being pulled up, mute the flagship, please. That That is a, a, a radio trope to end all radio tropes is person that gets on, forgets to mute their mic or forgets to mute their, uh, or their speakers, by the way, and, and we hear feedback while you're listening to the live 
flagship, then you're called on and then it, it, all those sort of issues. So when you, when you get dragged, when you hear the noise that you're on, when you hear us say, hey, what's going on or whatever, mute the flagship, mute the stream, and start talking. And then we'll, we'll discuss with you. We'll put you on for, for whatever amount. We'll, we'll discuss things. We'll do all that sort of stuff and move on. But that is the simple steps to do it. We also have the steps at uh, uh, patreon.com slash voices wrestling. Uh, as well, if you want to do that, but uh, yeah, this this is something we've we, we we've dabbled in. Obviously, uh, behind the the paywall, this is the first time we're dabbling in it on the uh, flagship. And if it's good, we'll bring it back. If it's an absolute disaster, uh, then we're not going to bring it back. And then one other thing as well, uh, we did have some people say, "Oh, you know, when, when you, anytime you know podcast takes calls, they're 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 disasters, they're bad or whatever." I will say, all the Patreon ones I've done, they've all been great. All the callers have been good, and more than that, to get onto this calling gimmick, you need to be a ten dollars subscriber. So if you want to be a troll or an asshole, you can pay $10 to be a troll or an asshole. But what's going to happen is we're going to ban you and you're never going to be able to call again. And we're also going to take your $10. So that's all I'll say. If you want to pay $10 to be an asshole, cool. You get to do it one time. We'll block you. We'll ban you. And you'll never be able to do it again. But we're still going to take your money. So um, we'll there you go. We'll bury you relentlessly after we disconnect with you. Yes, exactly. So um, Actually, that might be... They might want that. You know what? <laughs> they want to get the burial. We will not bury you relentlessly either. We will ignore your existence. No. Listen, these people are paying the calls, so the calls will be fine. So if you want to talk TLC, uh, get into that waiting room now. And uh, listen, this show, Rich, shockingly good. I mean, I watch WWE pay-per-views, and obviously this year, more than any other year in history, I'm expecting the worst. And – gotta be honest top to bottom top to bottom this show wasn't that bad at all and actually had a couple of matches that i really really liked i didn't even hate the fiend versus randy orton like damn that was gonna be that was gonna be my hot take is that like there was a lot of ridiculous stuff that we'll talk about with that match but it was actually not that bad of a wrestling match like no especially on the scale of of fiend matches fiend matches are some of the worst things you'll ever see whether they're cinematic or not, oh, the Seth Rollins disaster and, and everything else. This wasn't. I mean, these, this was just a brawl. Um, and the special effects were over the top and even special effects, just the literal fire that they had surrounding the ring was very over the top and had to be very liberal suspension of disbelief to get into it because if the Fiend can summon fire... And to win the match, you have to set your opponent on fire. Then why doesn't the Fiend just magically set Randy Orton on fire? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it seems like it'd be but pretty stubby. easy. And and for the for if you didn't watch the match, what happened was is, is there, the whole ring was surrounded by fire and stuff like that. Not not like an inferno match, like oh, outside of the ring, like in, uh, behind the barricades, there was like plumes of fire. But we didn't know there were plumes of fire until the Fiend got in the middle of the ring and raised his hands up, and then a bunch of fire came out. And then like Tom Phillips or whoever did went oh. <laughs> oh my god fire <laughs> like we didn't you know these plumes of like they're clearly like you know boxes of the, the that have been set up to like let fire out of it. but like the fiend raised his hands and the fire came out they went, oh my god fire <laughs> and then they proceeded to just blast the entire match but like you said the fiend summoned that fire because it was a surprise to everybody that the fiend created that fire but then he created the fire but then he succumbed to the fire as well because he couldn't stop being on fire and he couldn't put randy on fire or something i guess so yeah so if you could just raise your hands and create fire, why not just raise your hands and set Randy on fire and go home? Right. Hit the pay window and get out of there. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Um, so anyway, it's WWE and things never make sense. So you just have to, like, turn the old brain off 
and uh, to, to, to enjoy this on any level. And they had a nice little brawl. I mean, I didn't really have a problem with the match. I thought it was, it was fine. And then, um, I mean, did, I thought they the did finish... a few wild things, to be honest. Like when when Bray is giving like the mandible claw while his back's on fire, I'm like, Jesus Christ! Like, what are we doing? Like, like yeah. a man could have been like, and I love Randy Orton not taking any chances. He's in the fucking jeans and the hoodie, man. He's like, now fuck this shit. I'm not getting burnt. I'm not, you know, not gonna. I'm not. Yeah, I'm gonna enjoy my goddamn Christmas on my yacht or whatever the hell, or his boat or in his pool or whatever. He's like, now get out of here. He's wearing a full hoodie, jeans. He's he's not getting one bit of this. But like, dude, they were like in this fire. <laughs> like it was it was pretty damn close. Like. Like there was obviously the finish we'll talk about here in a minute, which obviously was you know special facts and all that sort of stuff. But like there were points where they were like doing shit. Like Randy Orton gives the the fiend an RKO while the fiend's on fire for God's sake. It's like holy crap! What are you guys doing? Why are you doing this? I'm wondering if that was a stunt man at any point. I it mean, had obviously, to be. it's was... gotta be, man. They. Dude, I hope it was. I really do. But then again, like, I always thought about that with, like, old wrestling, and then you come to find out that, like, you know, WCW put Bret Hart in a car and told him to, like, crash into another car and speed away. And it's like, what? Like, why would you do that? Just have a stuntman do it. But, you know. Well, I mean, the closing scene where he's laying there and he's engulfed in flames, that obviously wasn't him. No, that was clearly just, like, a, a dummy or something like that, yeah. The earlier spots, like you're saying, the RKO with, like, the flames on his back and stuff, I wonder if, like was him or a stunt i'm curious because he seems crazy enough to want to do to do shit like that but um yeah i mean there were some wild spots here and the finish was utterly ridiculous to the point really of hilarity i mean Burton houses this man in flames and sets him ablaze and he's you know being burnt to death inside the middle of the ring then orton strikes the randy orton pose <laughs> up on the aisle which is just incredible humor i mean Next time I kill a man, Rich, I'm going to strike the Randy Orton pose after I kill the man. I um, also thought it was funny that at one point the Fiend puts Randy Orton inside. Uh, he puts him on the rocking chair, Sister Abigail's chair, right? He does the old cartoon gimmick where he, like, does a line of gasoline yes, to the chair. And then he's got like, like he's the Wiley Zippo Coyote. Yeah, like he's Wiley Coyote. Finally, he's finally just. I'm gonna get that fucking Roadrunner, and there's I'm gonna do it. It's so right. ridiculous. With the overcomplicated trap, right? Instead of just dousing Orton in the in the <laughs> gasoline and, and lighting him on fire quickly, places him in the rocking chair. There's a line of gasoline, twelve feet long, takes out his Acme Zippo lighter, and then, uh, you know. And then the, the, the announcer, somebody tweeted this, and I forget who it was. I think it was Aaron Quinn, our friend Aaron Quinn, I think. If it wasn't, she should take credit for it anyway. Why not? Yeah, yeah, she deserves it, yeah. Um, I was like, wait a minute. So so Byron Saxton, Tom Phillips, and Samoa Joe are just going to watch The Fiend kill Randy Orton right now and set him ablaze? <laughs> they're powerless, like, Joe. They can't, you know, it's, it's <laughs> a Firefly Inferno match. Happen. I mean, you just, you know, it's, like, it's whatever. No one's going to step in and stop him from setting this this man on fire, uh, which didn't happen at the end either. Um, but, yeah, you know, for what it was, I didn't think it was that bad. Like, I thought it was a decent, you know, deathmatch style brawl, whatever you want to call it, you know, with the WWE trappings and histrionics that they have to add to everything to make it completely over the top. Ridiculous. I think if you tone this down a little and get rid of, like, the supernatural aspect, it's really not that bad of a match. 
Yeah, I was, they kept it kind of short, too, which is always the problem with a lot of these Fiend matches is they'll go for 35 minutes or whatever, and it's like he's not that worker. He's not that good of a worker, and he thinks he's this, you know, unbelievable off-Broadway actor or whatever, and it's like, dude, he's, he's terrible. He's horrendous. So they kept this pretty simple. He didn't get in the ring and 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 and, and do a monologue or whatever. He got in there. He, he did a bit of a, you know, just a generic brawl with Orton, and, and Orton seemed, I don't know, like he was putting some pretty good effort into it a, a, as well. So, yeah, they just had like a, you know, a pretty – decent brawl they played around with fire for a little bit and then he lit the fucking fiend on fire and that was the end of it and it was like oh all right that that did not take too much of my time and that that is honestly the best you can ask for with you know a firefly inferno match is that it doesn't last you know 35 or 40 minutes or whatever that was you know 10 or 12 minutes and then they were in and out which i think definitely definitely helped it uh over you know some of the other bullshit like we've seen the hell in a cell or you know any and name your your fiend thing or the fucking john cena thing at wrestlemania or whatever these things that just never end the the braun strowman Swamp fight thing where, where he killed Braun Strowman. I mean, there there has been so many murders on WWE television. It's it's amazing the feds haven't looked into this company because I mean the, the not only are they working during a pandemic like not taking any weeks off, but like multiple murders going on on the show as well. But uh, nobody, the feds, you know, and Tom Phillips and, and Samoa Joe powerless to uh, stop uh, these multiple murders that occur in front of them. So, well, he wasn't on Raw last night, but his um girlfriend who he has hypnotized and convinced that she's a nine-year-old child was on raw which is totally yeah totally normal uh stuff that's definitely not weird at all yeah not not weird at all that she has pigtails and and is literally swinging on a swing set in her little skirt saying come join me on the playground like yeah totally normal totally normal stuff totally join me on the come join me on the playground that he built for me yes yeah when when he let well because in the totally again Completely normal, not weird whatsoever. Uh, she let the fiend in. Let him in. That's right. Yeah. So that now you know. She. Yeah. She. Let me let me give you the Cliff Notes version of this story. Because there's somebody listening. They're like, "What are you talking about?" But no. Okay. Yeah. Give the give the Cliff Notes here. Fiend and Alexa have been teasing that they want to fuck for like months, right? Then they tease a romantic kiss over like whoever the fiend was feuding with at the time. Their dead carcasses in the ring. They're looking into each other's eyes. Alexa Bliss staring into the mask. The mask staring back. And they're about to have this weird, passionate kiss. And the fiend is fighting it. Going, no, no. And he's like shaking his head. And he's like, no. Right? And, and they don't kiss. But then eventually, he convinces Alexa Bliss to let him in. So he basically is uh, either hypnotizing her or using mind control. This is a wrestling podcast, by the way. <laughs> it's just pro and wrestling. It's on a wrestling show. But once she was let in, he's now controlling her. Like, that's the idea here. His idea of controlling her and his vision of what she should be, a child. A nine-year-old child with pigtails, hangs out on swing sets, talks like a child, acts like a child, is mischievous like a child. And oh, by the way, the implication here is that this is his girlfriend. Do I need that? I mean, it's fucking weird, Rich. <laughs> it's pretty weird. It, it's fucking weird, you know? And, you know, people think we're the weird ones for pointing these things out. And it's like, no, this That's is just clearly fucking. clearly the what, story they're telling you. She was wearing pigtails on a swing us. set. Like the subtlety yes. hammer couldn't have been more obvious that this is a 10-year-old child that's being you know, mind-controlled by and, her boyfriend, the fiend, Bray Wyatt. It's so fucking weird, yeah. And they'll be like, well, they're not boyfriend and girlfriend, which to be fair, they're not holding hands and making out and whatever. But before he she, she let him in, they almost <laughs> kissed. 
they, they had this passionate moment where they nearly made out on SmackDown. So it's just fucking weird, man. I don't know, but the match was fine. What else do you want me to say? And they kept them off TV at least one week. So that's good. I thought for sure he'd come on TV and be like, yowie, zowie, I got cooked, you know, and be fair, Alexa Bliss made a barbecue joke. So yes. I think that's close enough to what I predicted because, you know, she did uh, make a barbecue joke and ask Randy if she could smell the burnt flesh of the fiend um, in the ring last night when she was on her swing. Yes, this is a pro wrestling podcast. <laughs> and as, as Sean Cedor, a uh, voice wrestling contributor, Sean Cedor uh, points out in the chat room, the fiend is the babyface in this story as well. So the uh, yes. the murder, yeah. the, the the pedophile murder clown is the babyface that's getting cheered. So when Randy Orton lit the pedo uh, murder clown on fire, the fake fans went boo. And they said no, Randy, no. You know, Tom Phillips like no, Randy, don't do it. Like we well, should all be the cheering him on. We should be cheering this man on because he killed the pedophile murder clown. But no, we're going. <laughs> the pedophile dirty swamp wizard murder clown who has been killing other people He's killed in the multiple company. people this day this year alone has killed multiple people threatened to kill the mrs infant baby let's not forget about that so this is a bad person but then all three commentators are doing the hushed <laughs> I tone the thing i came to play <laughs> Yeah, pointing that. and spinning yeah. on his He's head. like, you're going to kill my infant? Well, hold on a minute. Let me get my shit Let me in. put on my glittery headband. Right. Prepare to fight you. You've threatened to kill my infant child. Oh, my God. I, I can't do this without my glitter robe yeah, and full spin. entrance. Yeah, my spin entrance. Spin and point. Um, oh, God. So, yeah, this he's the baby face for some <laughs> reason. I don't understand. Just one the week they decided he was the baby face. I... I I have no idea. Nobody has any idea. There's no turn. <laughs> Just one no week, turn. the fake fans started cheering for him. And the f- announcers went, well, that's the feed right wide. And the fake fans just started cheering. And then we're here we are. I, I, I Inexplicable. Beyond any. So he's, in, yeah, so he's in the ring on fire. Andy Orton's doing his Orton pose. And all three announcers are using the Owen Hart hushed tone voice. Samoa Joe. Oh, he's gone too far. Randy, <laughs> Randy's gone too far this time. Tom Phillips. I can't believe he. I, I can't believe what we're witnessing here. Byron Saxton, oh, Randy Orton. We know he's diabolical, but this is just. I can't believe he's he gone too far. That. He's gone too far this he's time, just, Randy. Not too far. They're, they're in their whispered, hushed tones because the dirty wizard, murder clown, pedophile is burning to death inside the ring. I mean, isn't this a mercy kill? Isn't this like? Shouldn't you want this this, this literal monster to be dead? I mean, I. Why isn't Randy the babyface here? This is like setting Freddy Krueger on fire. Yeah, or it. Yeah, it the clown. Everybody wasn't like, oh, man, I hope he kills more children. It was like, no. Right, right. <laughs> you yeah. wanted it dead. You wanted the children to beat it. You didn't want. Exactly, God. yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's bizarre. You know, Freddy Krueger was a child molester. You know? So the parents got together and, and set him on fire. Not not. Not unlike this storyline where the child molester <laughs> right. was sent on fire. And it's like he didn't he didn't turn baby face. You can't be a baby face kid toucher. Right? So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, He's, in World Wrestling Entertainment, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I guess so. Um, I had two notebook matches on this show. My two. WWE match of the year was on this show. Listen, Rich, I really love the Hurt Business versus New Day, but I wouldn't go so far as to call it my WWE match of the year. Pump the brakes, my friend. I mean, I know it's been a light year in, in World Wrestling Entertainment, 
but surely you've seen better matches than uh, the Hurt Business over New. No, of course you are talking about Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens in the TLC match. I don't know if it's my WWE match of the year, but it was really fucking great. I went notebook on it. I went four and a quarter. Uh, very fun plunder. He worked their asses off. All two, all three of them throw Uso in there. And uh, they did a lot of dangerous things. Kevin Owens is great in this kind of environment. Roman Reigns is great in this kind of environment. It may have been a little bit of overkill. And, you know, it is a WWE TLC match. So it's going to be over the top and all that. But for what it was, I'll say this. This is about as much as I can enjoy a match of this type in WWE in the modern day. That, that's that exactly, fair? yeah, that is absolutely, you know, w- my notes say, like, I hate this match type. I really never want to see a plunder match again. I'm sick of ladder matches. I'm sick of TLC matches. I'm sick of guys getting, you know, speared through barricades. I'm sick of guys trying to spear through a barricade and getting moving out of the way, and then that guy going through the barricade. I'm sick of ladder teases. I'm sick of all this sort of stuff. I'm sick of run-ins. I'm all sick of all that. And this had all that. It had all the stuff that I hate about wrestling. But it fucking ruled. It was it was so. I, I think what what at its core, what I loved about this match, is how logical it was, in a lot of ways. And that is not something I say about WWE matches very often. It's not it's not something I say about WWE plunder matches, uh, very often as well. But there's enough smart guys in the room. You got Kevin Owens in the room. Presumably you have Paul Heyman, who who I have to imagine was in the room a little bit because the stuff made fucking sense as opposed to the usual shit that doesn't make any sense. But. As anybody, if it's, who, a Roman, if it's Roman Reigns, then Heyman's in the room. Yeah, exactly. He, he's going to be involved because that's his, his guy right now. And and I knew it because there was at least hints of logic. So Kevin Owens is about to climb up the ladder pretty early on in the match, and all of a sudden here comes Jey Uso, and he runs out because of course he would run out. Of course Jey Uso would run out and say, "Well, fuck no, I'm not going to sit in the back while the you know my guy's getting you know beaten up or or about to lose this match. I'm going to run in here. I'm going to beat this guy up." So he runs in and beats him up, and then Kevin Owens beats up Jey Uso and sends him packing. And then Perfectly the lot- legal, Phillips. Yeah, and then the, the, the perfectly legal, Phillips. Yeah, is do you think Vince McMahon's edict is for these guys to scream "perfectly it's gotta legal"? Got to be over and over in any no DQ match because that's always the phrase they use too. You notice that this is all perfectly legal. It's perfectly legal, Cole. Nothing he can do about it, Cole. Perfectly legal. Is that a Vinceism? It's got to be. That's it? Yeah, it's got to. It's got to be because because they all say it exactly that way. Like you said, perfectly legal is is the perfect term that they use there. But uh, again, what I love about the logic then is okay. Then you get Jey Uso out of because he gets sent to the back. They they work over his foot. I think it was wasn't Kevin Owens like dropped something on his foot or did something to his foot or whatever. So they send Jey Uso to the back, and that gives you the explanation of okay. Instead of him just rolling on the outside and writhing in pain for twenty minutes while they do a bunch of spots, you set the established you know thing that okay, Jey Uso came to help out Roman Reigns. Kevin Owens thwarted him off and sent him packing. So now these two can go back and have a wrestling match and then go back and fight one another and they can go back and do all their sort of stuff. And I love that. And then later in the match, she used to say, ah, no, my foot's not that bad. I'll get out there and try to help my guy again. And he does. He goes out there and he helps the guy again. He limps, he sells, he does all that sort of stuff. I just love that little attention to detail. And it's, 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 it's so crazy that I'm saying such a simple thing like that it, it is great. And, and I'm calling such a simple thing like that a reason why a match is like my favorite of the year in WWE. But like that's the that's the level that we've stooped at this point. We're just having something that makes any little bit of logical sense. It's like holy shit, look at that! Like look at what they did. And I thought more than that, these guys worked their fucking asses off. Like you said, big bumps, huge bumps. Kevin Owens, he's gonna be so fucking sore, and he's got a 
goddamn cage match this week as well. But I thought Reigns was really good. This is the best of Reigns that you've seen in, in, in quite a while. Owens always delivers in these spots, especially these plunder matches. He lives for this sort of stuff. He was great. You have the Jey Uso inclusion. You have Paul Heyman on the outside kind of you know writhing in pain with Roman. I thought, I mean, this was tremendous. This is like such a good WWE match. They can do this. They can do this stuff. They used to do this stuff all the time. But, you know, they stopped. Near stars. Uh, four and a half. That's your WWE match of the year. So that what did that beat out? Sasha and it's Bailey and the yeah. uh, Ooh, Lomas that's gonna be tough. Or... You know, that's gonna be tough. That that was I did love that match. I um, I forgot about that one. I and, might have to go are back. We talking, we're talking main roster here, obviously. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. Counting not, not and Ilya Dragunov Yeah, yeah, no, like no. That. Just just main roster WWE. Yeah. Ooh, that's close. I might have to rewatch. Oh, man, I forgot about Bailey and Banks. I was going through them earlier, and I was like, "Yeah, this is definitely it." I don't know why I forgot that Bailey and Banks match, mostly because I guess that feud <laughs> it's evaporated so quickly. Uh, but that match is pretty tremendous as well. So it'd be a toss up between those two, I think. How's that not a WrestleMania match? I just—they're not even feuding with each other anymore. They're not even involved anymore. They did their little blow off at fucking whatever the hell the pay per view was, and we're done. Now Bailey's fucking around with Bianca Belair and. And Sasha's fucking around with Carmella, and it's like, you idiots, what are you doing? Speaking of Sasha Banks fucking around with Carmella, she beats her in 12 minutes and 42 seconds. This was my second notebook match of the show. I loved this match. Yeah, I've not seen this. See for, for full disclosure, I've only saw the last two matches, and I heard everyone says this is like the best Carmella match ever. Ever, 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 and it's not even close. I am really curious to watch this. Look, she held up her end. You know, look, Sasha's great. Sasha could have great matches with just about anyone, and but Carmella didn't feel like a carry job. Carmella was right there. Um, great work. Worked at a brisk pace. A lot of creative spots. And I didn't love the finish. And not the not, not the part where Carmella's heater, I forget his name. Not the part where the heater yanks Sasha Banks out of the ring. That's not the part I hated. Okay? Because that was a nice little spot at the end of the match and then it didn't lead directly to the finish anyway. What I hated about the finish is, Rich, they have to fucking go there every time in this company. Carmella is having trouble putting Sasha Banks away, even after she gets help from her from her manager or whoever that whatever you know whoever that whatever that guy's supposed to be. So she gets frustrated, and she's standing over Car- uh, Sasha Banks, cutting one of those high school play promos screaming at the top of her lungs. I'm Carmella. I'm better than you. I'm Carmella. Why do they have to do this shit? Why can't you just have the map? Why do we have to have? They're making movies, pal. Yeah. I mean, and then of course, Sasha uh, couldn't finish her off and she lost her head. And then Sasha took advantage, put her in the bank statement. I think it tapped her out. I, I didn't like that. But again, it's, it's WWE kind of have to live with it. Um, Because, you know, especially in the Thunderdome, they're going to do that. For for whatever reason, they feel like in the Thunderdome, got to replace the lack of atmosphere or fans with wrestlers cutting intimate promos on each other, NXT style. So I didn't like that, but this was a shit ton of fun, and it way over-delivered. And I might be overrating it a little, but I don't care. I really liked it, so I went four stars. There you go. Nice. Um, I really do think... Look, I wouldn't waste your time. I think you should watch it, honestly. I mean, it's 10 minutes long, and it was really good. Um, let's go through the rest of the card quickly, and then we'll take some calls on TLC. Hurt Business are the new tag team champions. They defeat the New Day. 
This was Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin in this case. So no Bobby Lashley, no MVP. So Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, the new Raw Tag Team Champions. It was a match. It was fine. Nothing on this show was bad. These were all, you know, nice little three-star matches or in some cases way better. And then uh, the women's tag team title match, the mystery partner, which was revealed early in the day, the worst kept secret. It was Charlotte Flair. So Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Now, I don't know why they're friends. No explanation given for that. But it's WWE. You just have to ignore these things. And they defeat Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler to win the women's tag team titles. Probably the least interesting match on the show. But there was nothing wrong with it. Perfectly fine three-star match. And then uh, we already talked about the semi in the main. I did not see Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles. Um, so that opened. That opened the show, the, right? Yeah, McIntyre, Styles, and The Miz opened the show. I was watching the end of a football game, and I never got back to it. Oh, and I heard that was really good. I can't speak on it. Uh, maybe one of the callers can speak on it. We'll take some TLC calls. Uh, remember, these are TLC calls, so if you have any thoughts on table, ladders, and chairs, uh, let's take some calls now. All right, let's do it. Let's uh, let's go with uh, Timothy Regal. He's a longtime uh, listener here. Timothy, can you hear us? <sighs> oh, for one. Damn it. Wait, Timothy, I can hear him trying to talk. I don't know. Um a chance. Oh, I hear a dog. I hear dogs barking. He's probably trying to get the dogs ready to go. <laughs> Perfect. Can't wave him. Let's go to the next call. All right, well, we'll put we'll put him back in the room. I'll try again. Put him back in the room. All right, let's go with Skeech. Skeech 101. What's up, man? Fantastic. Great start, Joe. <laughs> These work. I promise you they work. Oh, my advice would be if you're in the room, be ready. Yes. Because Skeech clearly uh, was in the room and he's not ready. So, um, so we're no technical issue here. He just wasn't <laughs> ready. So, um, there we go. Well, I, I messaged uh, Timothy to, to ask him if he's if he's ready. So, um, I will hear back if he is. All right, Michael Horgan. He just jumped in. That makes me assume that he's ready. Michael Horgan, are you ready? And he's not ready. Make sure you mute the flagship there, Michael, if you can. Yep. Got it muted. There it is. What's up, Michael? Yes, it worked. See, it can happen. <laughs> See, these can work. Um, so I was going to say, actually, I did watch the Drew AJ Miz match. And um, I will let me stop you right there. Yeah. You are going to give the official flagship review. <laughs> there it is. Now, we don't have to watch because Michael did. Perfect. Of Drew McIntyre versus AJ Styles versus the Miz. Unlike behind the paywall, talking to tens of thousands of people. So don't make a fool of yourself. I hadn't reviewed a match. Okay. Do my best here because the number one thought that I had watching the match was, and I know this is a point that you guys have brought up before. I'm watching these guys kill themselves, right? Like, and they're working what is overall a pretty smart match. You know, they're building it around selling the Drew selling the leg and that's how AJ can stay in it. And when Drew's on offense, he's throwing AJ around like a rag doll, which is exactly what Drew should do. But I'm watching the whole thing. And all I can think is I don't care about any of this. Like I have no emotional connection and therefore it's impossible to engage with it beyond a superficial, just like, yeah, that's quality wrestling, I guess sort of level that's the inherent problem with modern wwe storytelling is so broken 
it's impossible to care about any of it because what have you been taught as a viewer? You've been taught that nothing that happens in this match is going to matter tomorrow on Raw. Uh, we've seen AJ Styles literally die this year. <laughs> I forgot he died. Yeah, I forgot another death. <laughs> that was one I completely forgot. Yeah, two deaths on that show on, on, on Money in the Bank. So it, it, it and he died at WrestleMania. Got buried alive. Yeah. So, so I mean, even to those extremes, they, it's just because nothing matters. It also hurts for me, at least, hurts the match qualities, uh, the match quality of these matches too. Because the less invested I am, I can only like a match so much. Without I any. Mean, yeah. Go ahead. Uh- I was going to say, that's exactly how I felt watching that match, right? Like, I get, ended up giving it, like, three and three quarters, and and the closing stretch is awesome, and there's a lot of great twists and turns. But again, if I don't give a fuck about any of the characters, why why do I ultimately care? Like, why am I engaging with this? Like, And that's the problem of WWE, is I'm like, I don't care about The Miz or Drew McIntyre and his magic sword, no matter how much you're trying to tell me I should. That's why they're doing 1.5 million viewers a week on Raw now, because uh, they've taught their audience that they're not supposed to care about any of this. And, 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 and what's interesting is, you know, we, we talked about the match just a little bit ago, like the Kevin Owens, Roman Reigns. I think Roman is one of the few guys in the company that, you know, I don't love all the Roman stuff. I don't really love the the in-match monologues and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But he's a guy I, I, I genuinely do kind of care about because he's a somewhat interesting character. He's got some personality. I understand his motivations. I understand why he does the things he does. It, it does, and that, that's what wrestling is all about. At the end of the day, you know, we're watching these fake fights, and, and, and we're doing those because we want to be – we want to know that they, A, matter, that, you know, they're going to be entertaining or whatever, and that there's just something – you know you know what I mean? Like, that you need some sort of hook. You need something like that. And like you said, I, I couldn't possibly care less about Drew McIntyre. So going and watching and, – and AJ Styles, too. Like, I, I – what the hell is AJ – I mean, if I told you in one sentence to tell me what AJ Styles' motivations and what his character is in 2020, like, I don't know that anybody could do it. Michael, could, could you even – if I said one in, in the in the elevator pitch of AJ Styles in 2020, what what is his motivations and why is he wrestling in this wrestling match? He's a comedy wrestler. He's a comedy wrestler with a giant bodyguard now. I was gonna say that's that's he he's almost now. Like if you, yeah, you want me? It's just it's almost like that's what I'm in for. Like the almost bits were great in the match. Like they and they timed those spots really well so that they can't so that they actually went over well. I was kind of surprised for once they actually kind of got that right. Which is interesting because the next night on Raw, they did a big table spot with almost on the outside of the ring in the main event, and they missed the finish of the match. I don't know if either one of you guys saw that. But, uh, the the no. production crew was <laughs> no. they were very confused. What are you doing? No, nobody else is watching Raw, you weirdo. We just said 1.5 million viewers, Joe. <laughs> don't, don't be one of the 1.5 million, man. Come on. He's got a job to do, though. Uh, thanks for the call. You know, we didn't bring callers on here to, to rip <laughs> to me you. Thank you, Michael. Have a good one, man. And gang up on me. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Me. Happy uh, Hanukkah. Uh, Three Kings Day. Kings, uh, Rich. Diwali. You know, what is it? What are you saying? What is your wife going off to war? No, I mean, you, you told know? me that instead of saying happy holidays or Merry Christmas, that I should say every single one. So, Yeah, but how long is the closing greeting for this geek? I mean, come on. I mean, jeez. <laughs> that was a fantastic um, caller there. Yeah. <laughs> He just you're saying, the best for you. 
saying goodbye to this guy like he's going off to fight in the Middle East. I mean, let's uh, <laughs> let's relax here. Um, I think Timothy's yeah, ready but, uh, uh, now. If you want to, do you want to punch Timothy up, or do you have any thoughts take about one the call? more? Let's take one more TLC call, and then we'll move on. Okay, uh, Timothy, we are going to put him on there. Timothy Regal, how are you? Oh my, <laughs> Timothy. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, there we go. What's up, man? All right. Hey, guys, man. You know, so here's my take, and I kind of echo what you guys have been saying. I said, you know, I don't watch Raw SmackDown. I hit the point, NXT bores me. I don't watch much WWE week-to-week product. Um, Which, uh, I think, Rich, I think you know uh, my connection to a certain WWE super star um uh i don't think joe does but uh coming for me that's saying something um here's my thing um i sat down and watched the pay-per-view and literally up until the inferno which the ending of that was what it was i'm sitting there watching the show and i'm like man this is a really good pro wrestling show why is it we can do a really great pay-per-view but we cannot do a week-to-week show that connects to that any kind of sense whatsoever that just makes me go, there is no way I am ever watching these programs on a week-to-week basis ever again. Why? How? What do you change? Thanks for the call. I think I have an answer for you. The fact is, I just get lucky, these pay-per-views sometimes, because everything lines up and everybody works hard and the finishes aren't an absolute disaster. There were no terrible finishes on this show. I think that helps too, you know, but sometimes they just get in their own way and they trip over their own dick and they can't help themselves, but to overbook these things. But in a vacuum, you can get lucky with, with, with a show in a vacuum where everything lines up and there's no overdone finishes and it's not overbooked. And all of the matches are pretty decent. I think that's the simple answer. Yeah, and they, and they, they, they used to do this all the time. Like when, when you know, a couple yeah. years ago, I forget what year it was exactly, uh, but there was a year where, where they, like, every one of the pay-per-views were good. And every one of the, the t- all the TV shows still sucked. They weren't as bad as they were in 2020, but they still weren't very good. And they were still kind of annoying and they were still kind of bad or whatever. But we would come on the show and go, well, who really cares? Because every single month on the WWE Network for $9.99 or whatever, we're getting a kick-ass, you know, uh, events. We're getting kick-ass matches. We're getting great main events. 15, I want to say 2015, I, I think is the year I'm talking about. You know, you had Indy Cena doing fucking Yoshi Tonics with, with Kevin Owens. You had Seth doing really good stuff that year as well. And a bunch of other guys on the, on the roster. You know, Brian was still, I think, around. Sami Zayn was just kind of coming up. Like there was a lot of really, really good talent and they would, they would have great pay-per-views. It was like the TV stinks. TV makes no sense. But you know, once a month, these guys come on here for three hours and have a tremendous, tremendous pay-per-view. And that really held for, for quite a few years. It really wasn't until I'd say 2019 where like the TV was horrid as it, as it almost always is. And then the pay-per-view started being bad. And then they stopped getting lucky. Like you said, they stopped, you know, being able to have those, those good pay-per-views and, and 2020, I mean, yeah, they, they did this show, but I mean, they've had some real, real shitty pay-per-views this year uh, as well. So I don't know if it's like an overarching, you know, disconnect between the TV and the pay-per-views. I think like you said, Joe, they just got lucky this time and, and, and enough good guys, you know, enough good wrestlers and enough good matches, enough good, you know, agents to get it all together and just make it work is, is what happened because yeah, they, they haven't been great on pay-per-view this year. Very next night they were back to utter shit. Yeah. Oh, so it's just it's just lightning in a bottle where, you know, it was uh, a well-booked show where everybody worked hard and they had good matches. So um, that was TLC. And now, Rich, we start the road to WrestleMania next month. 
you believe it? Road to WrestleMania. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> be an empty building. Will it yeah. be performance center mania? <sighs> and will they keep the will they keep the pirate uh, scenery and and and, uh, and whatnot this year for a second year in a row? Will they continue the holding pattern? They say they're going back to Tampa, right? I think so. Uh, <laughs> but no, well, no, no, no. Isn't this one the Hollywood one? Or no? Did they bump that an extra year back? Yeah, going back to Tampa. Oh, all right. Well. Like I guess so they they're, they're there already, motif. so they might as well just stay. So, you can do the pirate motif again. Well, right? uh, the Rays are going to have to use that that building pretty soon, huh? Yes, they're going to start running out of buildings. <laughs> I don't know where they're going to go. They need to. Well, they... I looked at the schedule, and the Rays are on the road for like the first ten days of the season. Okay, all right. So they can them make a little it. extra time. Yeah, they're going to have to Joel Osteen this and just buy like an old arena and just you know take it over. Like, there's got to be just some shitty baseball stadium or shitty football stadium or shitty basketball stadium that no one's using anymore that they can slide into and move into uh what's that what's the terrible one in newark Are, is anybody using that one i just built the newark one the prudential the, the um no no the, the, uh, the, the, the where the devils used to play for a little bit and the new, oh, the old the new jersey Burn nets used to play for a little bit yes yeah exactly that's just sitting there right they're not doing anything with that old continental slash izod center yes yeah izod center that's that's how i do it as the izod center Meadowlands Arena, for simplicity's sake, with no sponsors. Yeah, I don't know if they've knocked that down yet. Um, it may have. I have so many memories in that building, whether it's wrestling or basketball or whatever the fuck. Uh, you know, 20 minutes up the turnpike where I lived. So many Nets games in different eras of why? the Nets. Going all the way back to... <laughs> were you forced to go or what are we... No, I mean, going all the way back to Coleman, uh, Kenny Anderson, and Drazen Petrovic. I mean, you know, okay. my, you, can, you can you can go oh. see that team. I, I would never, have, I would not have seen any uh, like post nineteen ninety five New Jersey Nets games willingly. Uh, but you know, I used to have uh, season ticket, uh, partial season ticket packages to the Nets for years. <laughs> um, I wouldn't get them every year, but every couple of years I'd get them because you know why the fuck not? It was a short drive. The tickets were cheap. The key with basketball uh, and the reason why I love attending basketball games is people think, oh, that team sucks or whatever. And I'm all joking aside, like, you know, the Nets, whatever. You don't go f- to watch the New Jersey Nets. You go because they're facing the Seattle Supersonics and you're going to see Sean Kemp. Or, like, I've, I rarely go to Bulls games to say, oh, man, here come my Chicago Bulls. Like, I look at that schedule and I go, okay, cool. Dirk's coming this day. Uh, you know, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant are coming this day. Kobe's coming this day. Like, that's what I look at. I, like, I don't really, I'm not sitting down to say, oh, man, I can't wait to see what, you know, Lori Markin and the crew are going to do or what, you know, the, the, it it was always about the other team, and that's that's where like even if your team stinks, they're gonna face a cool guy or a cool team like pretty regularly, and that that is what's awesome about having uh, basketball season tickets. I, a buddy of mine had bowl season tickets for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, because of that, I had to go watch a lot of Orlando Magic games because nobody bought his Orlando Magic tickets. Uh, so he would say, "Hey, <laughs> I have tickets. Do you want to go? Nobody wants to buy them." And I'd go watch you know the Orlando Magic for three or four straight years. So that was fun. I bought a. Um... Quarter, they used to sell quarter season ticket packages. They were like 10 or 11 games or something like that. And um, no, I was just a shit bum, 19-year-old, shitty job. So that's all I could afford. So I would buy like the quarter season ticket package. And you just get what you get in terms of games. And uh, got very lucky the one year because uh, the Bulls were part of that package. And it was the year Jordan came back. So I ended up seeing number 45 Jordan in the Nets in the Meadowlands. You know, because remember, they wouldn't wear him 20. They wouldn't let him wear 23 because they had already retired it. And there was that weird uh, rule in the league where he, he couldn't get his number back. So uh, I did get this as the only time I saw Jordan live. Yeah, as, as the 4 5. Wow. 
in the four or five, getting deed up by Rex Walters. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> That was the defensive matchup. Well, Jordan was rusty. He didn't play that well. I, you know what? We should pull up the box. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm, – I'm in the process of doing it right now, so. I don't I don't remember him playing very well, and I just remember screaming at Rex Walters to beat him up. And, you know, because <laughs> sure. it He's was like, I know. It's man. Michael Jordan. I'm trying. Like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, looks like March 16th. March 16th. Uh, no, sorry. No, this is not the 4-5 year here. One sec, one sec. Let me – that was that was yeah. the uh, seventy two win uh, season, so not the right one. There no, we go. All right. I didn't get to see that team. I would love to have gotten to see that. Team. I only saw I only saw one uh, Bulls game a- as a kid. They were uh, a hot ticket, as the kids say. Joe, it was pretty tough uh, to find yeah. uh, uh, any. Okay, I think this is the game here, uh, April fifth, nineteen ninety five. Does it sound about right? That's the four or five year. Then that's yep. it. One hundred eight, one hundred one. Nets make it a close game here. Uh, Michael Jordan had. Uh, he was 13 of 31, but he had 37 points. So I don't know if I call it an off night. I guess for Jordan, that's an off night. I didn't, but he's 13 for 31. So my memory's yeah. pretty good here. That is not a good game. Not bad. Yeah, not uh, bad. Walter, was Rex Walters on the other side? Make sure uh, he was. Right game. Yeah, he, he started. He played 41 minutes, uh, 8 of 14 yeah. from the field. So uh, 17 points for Rex Walters. Arm and Hammer Gilliam led the Nets with 27 oh. points. So. Love the hammer. I love watching the hammer. Not play. great when Armin Gillian is your, your leading scorer. Uh, Benoit Benjamin yeah. adds adds twelve there. Um, yeah. Kenny Anderson twenty one points, fifteen assists. Oh, what a what a game from Kenny! Twenty one to fifteen. There we go. Classic Kenny Anderson game. A lot of heat in the building because you know all the Bulls fans bought up the tickets, obviously, because it came out of nowhere. Um, and I remember it being an electric atmosphere. It was really a lot of fun. It was actually one of my favorite basketball games I've ever been to. So, um, and that was in that building, SummerSlam '97. Steve Austin breaks his neck on the pile driver, and Bret Hart beats the Undertaker. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I was sitting right on the aisle for that. Um, so yeah, I I love that building. I mean, I basically grew up in that building. That building was the the 1996. I want to say NBA draft was in that building. That was the Iverson, Ray Allen, yeah, Gary oh yeah, Kittles. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember we drove up to that draft, me and my dopey friends, and, and my friend's car, we had to pull over every mile to fill his radiator with water or the car <laughs> would like exploded. So we did this all the way up Turnpike to get to this draft, right? Stopping every like two, three miles as the car would start to smoke out of the front hood. And we get there and we can't get in the building. It's sold out. So they had screens set up on the outside, and it was an over, overflow crowd for this draft. Let's see, Iverson get drafted, and the Nets had a high pick that year. They took Kittles. Yep, Kerry Kittles. Yeah. And, uh, instead of watching – now, you know, this is such a Joe Lanza story. Instead of sticking around to watch the draft in the parking lot, we all looked at each other and said, let's go to the track. So we went to the horse track next <laughs> you know, next door and made the ponies that night. But – um. Yeah, they, they, there's. I, I've got a million little moments like that. Um, you know, out, outside, just wait, going to wrestling shows and just waiting out back. Because in that building, these guys had to walk up the tunnel to their cars in the parking lot. Basketball players, the whoever, we'd go in the back of the building after basketball games, and uh, you know, Rick Mahorn was a great guy. He would fuck around with fans all the time. Uh, Sean Bradley was like the biggest asshole going. Like he didn't want nothing to do with anyone. I remember Sean Bradley's car. He had a pickup. He not. It was a uh, was it a pickup truck. It was like a double cab pickup truck with the back seat removed because his legs are so long. 
So he was sitting like on the bench seat in the back to drive the the car. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His legs were so long. I, I always will remember that. Rick Mahorn and Rick Mahorn's wife were always the nicest people, and they would fuck around with fans, and he would be roasting all the fans. And uh, Paul Silas, who was an assistant coach, he would stand back in that parking lot and talk strategy with you. Oh, just after a game, the team stunk. They probably lost again by 30. But he's out in that parking lot discussing strategy with the fans and, and you know, what worked and what didn't work. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, there's that was nothing better. If you, if you ever are going to meet a, a coach or an athlete, a basketball player or a basketball coach on a bad team are the best. Because those guys, they, they want to vent. And they don't care if you're they they play for a shitty team that nobody cares about. Like if it you know insert random team or whatever, and 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 ideally they're not like a star, or they're a former star or whatever. Those guys will talk to you for hours about basketball. An assistant coach who's sitting by himself in a hotel bar or whatever, that dude will get out some fucking cocktail napkins and draw you up plays and tell you what what went wrong and who's a bum and who stinks and who you know what I mean. Like they're the greatest people yeah. in the world to talk to, and they they they're, it, it, again. They can't be a good team because the good guys, the, the good team doesn't want to talk to you. They don't have time for you. But it's got to be a shitty team in like a dumb town too. Like like even if it, if it's like you know the Detroit Pistons and they're visiting like the Milwaukee Bucks or whatever, and you're at the hotel yeah. where the Pistons are staying, those guys will talk to you for an hour. You, you know while they're they're downing their 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 bourbons or you know their vodkas and waters or whatever, and you know munching on you know mozzarella sticks or whatever. They will talk hoops with you for hours if you want to talk so if you ever I, I never really recommend ever going up to athletes or coaches or anything like that but assistant coaches on bad NBA teams will talk to you for hours and it is fantastic yeah see back then with the with like I'm saying that parking because now all the new buildings these guys their cars are underneath the arena. right right, they, right, they don't right, have to, right but back then it wasn't like that you know with some of these older buildings these guys kind of knew the score. They knew after every home game, there's going to be fans back there looking for autographs or whatever. So they were kind of used to it. So it was just kind of like the post game routine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, wrestling wise, the one thing I remember, I remember Chris Candido and Ahmed Johnson coming up the tunnel. Candido had a towel over his head. He was protecting his face because they wrestled each other that night. He was protecting kayfabe. Oh, nice. That's awesome. He was old school. Like, everyone else didn't give a shit. Other people were coming out, baby faces and heels, guys who faced each other. But I'll never forget Candido, or I guess he was uh, uh, Skip at that time, coming up that tunnel with with Ahmed Johnson with the towel over his head covering his face. And people were calling out his name, and he was no-selling them. (laughs) Ahmed Johnson was stopping to sign things and shake hands. He was just tunneled, just head down, towel on his face. He got right into the car. He just he had the towel over his head, and he ducked down in the car. He didn't want anybody to see his face. Old school. I just remember thinking that that was so cool. Um. Anyway, th- those are my memories of uh, Meadowlands Arena. A lot of names over the years: Brendan Byrne Arena, Continental Airlines Arena, Izod Center. I think was the was the last name uh, before they closed it down, or. You know when the Nets and the Devils finally. Yeah, moved. I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're doing with that thing anymore. It might it might be knocked down for all I know. But uh, I'm just trying to think, think of, of was... buildings they could buy and just run their shows out of. So. Yeah, as a couple of years ago, it was there, and it, it was you know like concerts and things like that would run, but it became obviously a drain. I'm sure they knocked it down by now. So they were building some entertainment uh, complex on those grounds because obviously they knocked down Giant Stadium as well and rebuilt and built MetLife. Right. 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 Um, 
because it was the Continental Airlines Arena, Giant Stadium, and and the horse track. So that was the Meadowlands Sports Complex, those three buildings. So they knocked down the football stadium. I'm pretty sure by now IZOD is knocked down. They built like an entertainment complex uh, called Xanadu, a decade-long project, and I don't think it ever opened. I think it just was one of those tax projects that just ran out of funding or something. This is all since I've moved from New Jersey, so I don't really – but yeah, that um, – I – I was in that building no less, I mean, at least a hundred times for shit. I mean, you know, I basically grew up in it. I'm sure you have a building in Chicago that you went to a million times, um, you know, to see various things over the oh, years. Oh, yeah, Rosemont Horizon, United Center, both of those, yeah. So, so many things. So you, you sparked some and you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So Let's move on and talk about uh, a building I've never been to, and that's the uh, uh, Kobe building in, uh, no, what was, uh, where was Final Gate? I blew my. Uh, I don't know actually where Final Gate was. Now that I mentioned Fukuoka, right? Fukuoka. It was in the sure. <laughs> yeah, the Fukuoka uh, Kasuoka Center here, a building I've never been to. Now let's talk about a little bit of Dragon Gate. How much of the Final Gate did you see, Mister? Uh, I just saw the main event. I wanted to watch more of it. I was uh, I was holding out hope for the uh, English commentary, which we can talk about here in a bit. Uh, English commentary was supposed to be on the show. Uh, they had some technical difficulties the night of. Uh, they said, "Okay, cool. You know, we can't do it live, but you know, we'll we'll, we'll be able to you know record it live to tape, and then we'll we'll, we'll put it up later." Uh, then we got a, a notification from Jay today uh, or a tweet that he said, "Ah, it's all corrupted. It's all shit." So I got to go and, and redo it. So that sucks. So once I found out that hey, we're not going to go back and redo it, then I just said, "Okay, fine, fuck it. I'll just or, or we are going to redo it, but it's going to be a weeker now." Uh, I will instead just listen to the Japanese commentary. So I just caught up today. I did see the main event, but I do want to watch the entire show because it looked right up my alley. We'll take some Dragon Gate Final Gate calls. So if you have any uh, questions or comments on Final Gate, hop in line now. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're if you're like Rich and you're waiting around for the English, commentary, so we got we got some breaking I mean, news here. The nurse is oh. in the house. Post vaccine. How's it going, nurse? Um, it's fine. Oh. She's not a zombie yet. She is not <laughs> eating my flesh yet. 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 I got a massive hot flash for a second. Okay. And now I kind of have a headache. But fantastic. Other than that, <laughs> other other than that, that totally fine. Good. I mean, that's not that bad. It's that's not, not. Yeah. It's not a horrible headache. It's that's just, true. Also, that may be because I'm dehydrated from working a 12-hour shift and not drinking water. So, You're not selling it very well. Maybe not vaccine related. <laughs> Isn't it a double dose? Does she have to go back? Uh, you do have to go back. Second? Right. When do, when do you go back now? Ju- uh, January 11th. Yes. So some of them are double doses. Some are, no, are not. They're all double. They're all double? I they're thought the other one double. wasn't. No, well, I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Go get your single dose somewhere. Have fun. Moderna's double as well. Oh, is it? I thought it was single. Okay. No. There you go. Continue to tell I don't know why you're questioning the health. I know I'm just I'm just joking. Yeah, it gets her really mad. So, actually, yeah. I think uh, Pfizer's 21 days apart, and I think Moderna's 28 days apart. I think that's the only difference. There you go. So you yeah, the she got Pfizer. Got the I Pfizer. got Pfizer. Okay. The good one. Um, I think our hospital's running out of vaccines after today. So. Fantastic. All right. Well, good thing you got it today, then I guess. Yeah, right. I heard people have appointments scheduled for other days, and they're going to get canceled because <laughs> they ran out. So. Lovely. There, go eat your frozen pizza then. Yeah, I'm pretty tired. Also work 12 hours. Also pretty tired from that. You just probably. said tired again, but yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm a, hi, I'm an oh, Mitch, Well, Mitch McConnell got his, so we're... we're yeah, Mitch McConnell, Joe just said Mitch McConnell got his, so we're, we're a-okay. Yeah, so. that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> Wait, you can't swear on the show. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> um, I think Lindsey Graham also got one. Yeah. And I'll got him. several other people who thought COVID was no big deal, but pretty excited to be on the bandwagon <laughs> for the vaccine. So every one of them got him. Um, meanwhile, we're running out of vaccines and I don't think all of our nurses have been vaccinated. <laughs> well, that's, that's the American dream right there. So, yeah. Yeah, well, so I'm sure the vaccine is totally happens. fine. Just don't get it after a 12 hour. Yeah. Maybe shower. drink water or eat something. Drink throughout... water, maybe eat some food and don't work 12 hours. I'm sure the vaccine's fine. Well, everybody listening is a male between the ages of like, you know, 20 and 35. So there's no chance yeah. we're ever getting the vaccine anyway. So it'll be. Oh yeah. You'll get it in like a year. <laughs> right? Nobody listening. Is. Um, well, no, the, the, the young, the young adults here. are getting it. I didn't take the vaccine. Selfie. She's just blowing through you. She doesn't care. So um, yeah. yeah. I like a steamroller. I love it. Because I'm really afraid of needles, and I was like almost in tears when uh-huh. I was doing it because I got myself so worked up. Okay. So I don't have a picture of me. Well, what's the point of getting the vaccine if you can't, if can't put it on Instagram that you got it? I was just going to ask you if you want to take my picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm not doing anything else. That's fine. All right, yeah. Cool, All right. Thanks. Yeah, cool. Well, I don't want it in front of your oh, I don't, Oh, I don't have. Yeah, because I have. Shit. I'll take it myself. Okay. By the way, in front of the Wrestle Kingdom, it's, you got Shinsuke Nakamura right over there. Yeah, you got the Wrestle Kingdom. There's an Undertaker. There's, there's an Undertaker figure. Yeah, you got two Wrestle Kingdom programs up there. There's a CM Punk figure there. There is a there. CM Punk figure. You, it's fucking bullshit. You want to shoot on CM Punk? She's always hated CM Punk. Oh, yeah. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Oh. You're going to pass out. Go also, eat your pizza. Also, can we talk about, um, Joe, I found out oh my the God. other day. All right, once, let me give her the headphone. Wait, this is, she's not Joe, going Joe, away, Joe. so maybe this will help. I, felt, I found out I'm the sorry. other day that you can go on a cruise, a uh, Jericho cruise? Yes, she wants to go on the Jericho cruise, by I the wanna, way. I, I want to, I'm wearing my mask inside my own Yeah, I don't know home. what you're doing, but it's um, fine. Sorry, I was wearing my mask inside my own home because you should always mask up. Um, <laughs> so I found out that. That was the least <laughs> convincing. <laughs> I found out that the Jericho cruise, you get to yell, fuck that boat, fuck that boat, when other cruise ships come by. And that's all I want to do in my life post-COVID. I'm getting this COVID vaccine so I can get on that Jericho cruise and say, fuck that boat. Listen, I think if you have the vaccine, because a cruise is like the worst place to be on Earth if you don't have a vaccine. Or ever, or vaccine or no vaccine, but that's fine. Fair. But if, if, listen, I would love to chant "fuck that boat" at another. But I can see where she's coming from. Yeah. That sounds like a it's, shit ton of fun. Sounds amazing. So get that COVID vaccine so we can all go on the Jericho cruise, drink a little bit of bubbly, and chant "fuck that boat," please. Hell yeah! <laughs> I like what I'm hearing. See, you said I didn't sell the vaccine. Yeah, Everyone's you sold the Jericho cruise. <laughs> you didn't sell. You didn't sell the vaccine itself, but you sold the vaccine for the Jericho cruise. Fantastic. Let's all go because. TLB will definitely go to get drunk. There's no question about that. I, I'm not in love with the cruise idea, but that's fine. We'll... I, I'm going to get so motion sickness. We're going to have to take a lot of Dramamine. That's a good point. I don't like... I, 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 <laughs> I don't want to go on the boat. We'll, we'll let TLB and Michelle go. I think, my, I think my motion sickness will go away if I'm excited about yelling, fuck this boat. <laughs> 
Have a good one. I don't know. I don't know. I get, I get seasick in the bathtub. Yeah, so I, I, I can't imagine I do pretty I well. Yeah, people are like, oh, it's a big boat. You won't even notice it. And I'm like, I. but what if I do? And it's like I paid a shit ton of money to go be sick. See, like, I'm not taking the risk. say that, but then other other people tell me that's bullshit. Exactly. You feel that fucking right, rocket. Right, right. And, and, and that just forget it. I, I don't want nothing to do with it. Well, I think people say, oh, you're not going to feel it. And it's like, well, do you get motion sickness? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, you don't know what it's like then. Like, you don't. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, yeah, for you, it's fine. I'm trying to say that, like, it's not fine for me. Right. Yeah, um, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I've been on little rowboats on lakes and gotten seasick. Yeah, I don't don't think the Jericho's Rock and Rager cruise is going to be good for you then. So, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, let us know how that vaccine works out. I mean, if she's unresponsive towards the end of the show, make sure uh, (laughs) she's okay. The problem is she doesn't eat or drink during the day, and that uh, that doesn't uh, doesn't help things. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, who's got time for that shit? You know what I mean? It's uh, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. She's probably got plenty of time to eat and drink. What is she doing? Why well, is she eating and drinking? <laughs> she was at work all day, so this is she got the vaccine after work, right. which is fair. I mean, I she wearing the mask and all that shit. <laughs> Stop talking. Can you still hear her even though she's like three rooms away? Absolutely. Yelling? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In line for a half hour. Yeah, there you yeah, go. I heard her. Got it exactly. In the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. 
for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Um, fuck are we saying? Oh, the Some English commentary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the English Final. commentary. Yes, yes, yes. I don't, you know, if you were like Rich waiting around for it, don't worry. Listen, it's pro wrestling. Guy on one side of the ring doesn't like the guy on the other side of the ring. It's not fucking math fucking equations, okay? It's it's guys fighting for titles and stakes. It's it's pretty simple to figure out, so don't let that be a deterrent. It was a really good show. Um, the main event went sideways, so we obviously have to start off with that. June Sky, Skywalker successfully defends against Ben K. Ben K. Uh, knocked out legit by a uh, running elbow, lariat, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, the old, the, the Liger fucking gimmick. What what exactly was there was something along those lines, right? That knocked out Ben K, some kind of strike, and um, then it kind of fell apart from there. Uh, he was unconscious, and the referee was lost. Skywalker was lost. He proceeded to give him three or four more offensive moves. He tried to pick him up. At that point, it was very obvious Ben K was unconscious, and uh, Skywalker panicked. And his solution was to go up to the top and deliver a moonsault. We'll unpack all of this. Uh, these are the events that took place. The video is a little bit scary. Uh, seeing it, I, I didn't stay up for the main event. I saw the uh, video in the morning, and it was uh, I was like, holy shit. Um, so first of all, I think Skywalker would have won the match either way. We talked about it last week. I don't think they were going to do a title switch here. So I don't think the knockout affected the booking. No, no, I don't, uh, I don't think so either. As far as the way it played out, um, I mean, I'm pretty consistent with these things. These are, they're, you know, it's real easy from your couch to say what you would do or what they should have done. But in the heat of the moment, in an arena full of people, you're a 24-year-old wrestler, just became world champion of the promotion, you're in the biggest match of your life, trying to be a leader, uh, you're in front of thousands of people, on a live pay-per-view, you panic. And and you don't know how to handle these things. And the way that Shun Skywalker chose to handle it was to hop back up on the top rope and deliver a moonsault where 90% of his body weight, you know, he overshot Ben K on purpose. He basically landed, you know, uh, ar- with his arms on Ben K's body and his, his hips and his legs well off of, you know, overshot him. He just... He had to think quick, and he didn't make a great decision. Was it a good decision to deliver that moonsault? No. In the moment, he thought that was the best course of action because I guess he figured I could overshoot on the guy. I, you know, I don't have to land directly on him. Um, he probably didn't realize he was knocked out when he delivered the other moves because he tries to pick him up. Yeah, that, that's and the think- moment. That, that's the moment that really stuck out to me is that you know he does the one moonsault. And at that point, he I think he's like, all right, well, whatever. And then he goes to the pinfall, and then Benke doesn't kick out. 
and it's like, oh, oh, he's really knocked out then. He has, like, no idea what he's doing. Because he, sometimes, in, especially in wrestling, you get the, like, the concussion where a guy's, like, kind of loopy, doesn't really quite know where he is. But he's at least cognizant enough to know, okay, I'm going to kick out of two, or this isn't the finish, or whatever. Benke was out-out. Like, Benke was in a different universe at that time. And and so he finds that out. The referee has to kind of stop his three count, and he he kind of freezes for a bit, and Shun freaks out. So he goes to try to pick him up. doesn't happen, and then says, ah, oh, and then just runs to the top and does the moonsault, like you said, uh, to kind of the prone body of Benke. And, and, and it's... Like you said, it's really, really difficult to 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 be in you know from from our couch or from wherever and saying, oh, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. We talk about it all the time. I'm surprised that this doesn't happen more in wrestling. I'm surprised that there's not more injuries in wrestling because when when you when you think about this match and this one particular instance of how many people had to communicate with each other and how many things had to go uh, and, and and be the exact right way to make sure that nothing more happened. I mean, you have the referee's got to know that the wrestler's knocked out. The wrestler has to either tell the referee that he's knocked out or the referee has to assume that by the ref- the, the wrestler not telling them that he's knocked out that he is actually knocked out. And all this is happening while Shun Skywalker has to be doing moves to this guy and. and and doing his finishings, and he can't stop. It's so many things have to be done in a match like this. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and 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 pass judgment on Shun Skywalker. I'm not going to pass judgment on the referee because a lot of shit happens all at once. And and it's really easy in hindsight to say, oh, well, you should have stopped the match. Or you should have done this. This all, I mean, in real time, this all happens in like 40 seconds. You know what I mean? It, it maybe even less than that. To be honest, it, a lot goes through your mind. A lot happens. You freak out. You're in a big stage. There's an arena full of people. You're supposed to win this wrestling match. Like, this shit is very difficult uh, to, to, to get right. So, I mean, no. Would I have gone for the second moonsault? No, I wouldn't have. But but I understand what his thinking was, and I, I, I do appreciate that he took that move the absolute best way you can in, in a way where he made sure that he didn't touch that guy uh, in any way. But, yeah, that could have been terrible if Ben K pops up all of a sudden or if Shun doesn't hit the, the move as exactly as he did. And, and yeah, it was, you know, one, two, three happens, and then people say, oh, they should have stopped the doctor. The second that three happens, everybody runs in the ring and and and, and, and tends to Ben K the second that three count hits. So I, I, I can't rake him over the coals. I can't kill him for that. Look, the, look, Augie and, and Shun do a bad job here. Yes. What do you want to do? You want to jail him? Want to fire him into the sun? I mean, what, what do you want to do here? Is the heat in the moment, you know? And yeah, should the ref have done a better job? Yes. You know, should Skywalker maybe have done a better job? Yes. Maybe. Look, in a perfect world, recognize that he's knocked out on the running elbow or whatever, and they end the match right there, and it's a win-win because you keep Ben K safe, and it's a cool as fuck finish because now you have a KO finish, right? And that just looks cool, and it comes across cool, and it it all makes sense within the context of the match. Like, that's the win-win scenario. But it's not a perfect world. And I do think it should be noted that Ben K has sold like this before. There have been, you know, that's part of his uh, deal. Like, sometimes this is a sport where guys pretend like they're hurt. All, I mean, that's yes. <laughs> it's not like in basketball where a guy lands on the, the ground and, and, and holds his knee. You can pretty much safely assume that that guy's not faking that he tore his ACL, that, that he actually tore his ACL. It's pro wrestling. It, the, the whole goal of pro wrestling is to fake that you're hurt and fake that you're knocked out and fake that you're, you're, you're hit loopy. I mean, it is very difficult if you don't know the finish to know what's right and what's wrong and, and, and what's a sell and what's not. Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, and again, I think they did a bad job, but what, do you, what, what are you going to do? These things are going to happen from time to time. No, and, and um, he's okay. He seems to be fine. You know, all the official announcements have been downplaying it. And, you know, that could be a little bit of they don't want heat. But I'm going to take them at their word that he's doing okay. And, 
He got his bell rung, man. It's going to happen to everybody on this card at some point. It's going to happen to every pro wrestler at some point. It's not ballet. I hate to use that tired, uh, you know, um, cliche, but it's not. You know, and, and you know, the, the moonsault was excessive. Again, as a 24-year-old kid, big spot, he's shit in his pants, okay? Not only because you're taught that the show must go on. That's the other thing. It's pro wrestling. They're all a bunch of dumb jocks. They're taught that the show must go on. A lot of them come from athletic backgrounds. You know, you finish the game. You know, so there's that aspect. And on top of it, okay, he, he's, he's, you know, with all of that, on top of all the pressure and everything else, uh, he probably feels terrible when he realized that he knocked the guy out. So he's dealing with a whole range of emotions that you on your couch can't even comprehend because he's the one that did this to this man. He doesn't know how serious it is. So you're dealing with this training that you've been ingrained with to make sure that you finish the match and protect kayfabe. And you're dealing with the pressure of a, of a live audience on your second biggest show or your arguably your second first or second biggest show of the year. His first world title defense. The company has christened him as their guy. And the ref blew it. He panicked. I don't know what you want done here. It did, you know, we're going to have these same conversations over and over. We've had a million of them over the years. Um, you know, they did a poor job, but I, I don't know. I, I, I understand. I get it. And, you know, we're just fortunate that, you know, he just got knocked out and, and it doesn't seem to be that serious. And, and, uh, it looks like he's going to be okay. And, um, you know, I, I say it every time we come across one of these situations during the life cycle of this podcast, we have seen and dealt with situations where wrestlers died in the ring and we will again. It just is what it is. You know, and I'm not trying to be cold. I just try to be realistic about these things, you know, and, and and you would hope that next time if this sort of thing happens again, they stop it immediately. That's not always going to happen. So it was unfortunate. Um, and I, I, you know, as far as the match goes, I thought they were really starting to get cooking. Man, it was a really point. good match. Yeah, I was. I, so I watched it knowing that the spot was going to happen, but not knowing when it was going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, I, so I'm watching it. I'm, I'm in. Like, this, they're getting me. I'm hooked. I'm ready to go. And then I see, you know, Ben K bounce off the ropes, and I'm like, oh, is this it? And it was. And I was just like, man, this match was getting so good. Like, you could see that they had another, you know, five, ten minutes of just a really, really good back and forth in them. Uh, and, and it stinks because this was really, this was like a, a star making performance by both these guys. I thought both these guys carried themselves like stars. Both these guys carried themselves like main eventers. This was a main event, you know, kind of classic Dragon Gate. You know, main event style match with, with you know the culmination of of, of a years long feud between these two, both guys, the next wave of stars and dragging it. It had all that going for it, and then yeah, it, he he takes that clothesline, and he's out, and it's just like damn, like it's all that gone. They should, they, they should have a doctor. They should have a doctor at ringside. They're a big enough company, where they probably and they don't. They haven't, and they don't. They didn't hear. So that's a problem. At the doctor at ringside. But this kind of thing happens everywhere. We just saw it last year in New Japan with Kenta and Ishii. Where Kenta got knocked out and they just kept going. We saw it in WWE with Undertaker and Bill Goldberg. Was that this year or last year? I think it was last year. And he just kept going. Even in WWE where they have a doctor at ringside. And they have a policy where they stop a match immediately somebody gets knocked out. And we've seen them stop matches immediately. Daniel Bryan famously you know, wanted to fight Triple H when he got back behind the curtain because they stopped one of his matches. 
even in a promotion like that, where they do take those extra precautions and have a doctor and aren't afraid to stop a match, just saw last year they were in the same situation that these guys were in here. Or, you know, Goldberg and Undertaker, you know, were in the same nearly identical situation. What? So it happens everywhere. Okay, one sec. The nurse is breaking news. What? I have additional breaking news. Yeah. At the beginning of COVID, crack sent free cracks out to everybody. Uh-huh. All healthcare heroes. Uh-huh. I'm using air quotes. And then I wore, I got these beautiful teal ones in the mail. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited that uh-huh. I wore them to work. And I actually was into cracks for the first time ever. All right, let's, let's cut to the chase here. They're super comfy. Anyway, I wore them for two shifts, <laughs> fell in love with them. Cut to the and chase. somebody stole them at work. That, that did happen, yes. So but... on the same day that I got my COVID vaccine, I received a replacement yeah, well, pair. Yeah, put your write your name on them so nobody steals them. This time, <laughs> I got so. a replacement pair of the teal Crocs, neo mint color. Yeah, uh-huh. and they just came today. So, like Ice T said, today was a good day. That was Ice Cube. Ice right? Yeah, so Joe said... fucked that up too earlier. He mentioned Ice T <laughs> when he's talking about Friday. So you guys are both. <laughs> well, <laughs> both extremely white. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I just Rich to let dropped. You all know I, that love, I, have new I love. I love Rich dropping. I get to the point, toots. <laughs> What was in this vaccine that you took? Maybe some weed. Yeah, I don't know oh, what's in there. No. Go. No, I was really excited about these, and then they were stolen from Yes, me. so now they're back. So now, on the cusp of COVID being cured, I received a new pair yeah. of neogreen. I mean, I bought them for myself. But these weren't free, and that's they the... They weren't free. Uh, I bought there. these. Yeah, I right, bought right, these. Right. They've been sold out also. Uh-huh. Right cool. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Good night. That's my phone. Don't take my don't phone. Don't touch my... Look how nice they look. They're fantastic. My God. Unbelievable. Yeah. If she wasn't a nurse, I'd be roasting the fuck out of her he's, for wearing He's talking Crocs. shit about Crocs. You want to get in on no, this? No, I don't. Because one of the doctors at my work told me now I don't need birth control. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <is> not wrong. <laughs> Dick deterrent. I don't care because my feet are cozy. Also, I love how Rich, I love how you love how you frame that. He's talking shit about Crocs. I literally said. (laughs) I hope I've derailed this conversation. Yes, you have. Get out of here. Go away. Eat your pizza. God. I literally said if she wasn't a nurse. (laughs) Yeah, so don't don't get that vaccine. Wait, wait till the Wait till the Johnson and Johnson one comes out. I think it might be the better. <laughs> I don't know why you always bury me with the nurse because, because she can't hear you, so it's it's perfect. Yeah, so. yeah, but here's the thing that I I get that you're like ribbing me, but then it just works against you because then if she has angst against me, she's gonna have angst against the oh, dopey podcast. Oh, and give you a hard time. I love my my crack stories so that you feel like an asshole for trying to censor me. <laughs> Who, Joe or me? Both of you. Okay. Way to go, Joe. See, this is exactly what you were saying. It's exact, see? It's playing out in real time. <laughs> exactly as you predicted. Yeah. Gotta be a better politician, you know? Just in case she listens back to this, which she's she never will definitely not. There's a there's a better chance John Moxley will read our New Japan ebooks than that she will listen to this show. Well, so I'm not listening to that. I definitely said I'd bury her if she wasn't a nurse for wearing Crocs. <laughs> it's an important distinction. And, it was an important distinction that, you made, yes. Yes, I understand that nurses wear I love you dropping the get-to-the-point toots in the <laughs> middle of that, too. I enjoyed that. You're like, come on, can we wrap this She's up? She's got a history like, of long up. stories, so. Yeah, that go in many directions. <laughs> it was, because I told you that. Are you still here? Yeah, I'm waiting for my pizza to come. Well, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
You're gonna upset Joe. I think they fucked me up at work, dude. Yeah, I think they did. Go lay down. Are you just gonna stay in here and fuck around on your phone? Yeah. Okay. Joe, talk about Dragon Gate. Um. Oh, I was. Yeah. So this happens all the time. Is what I was getting at, and we can't just keep, you know, whatever. Um. So, uh, yeah, unfortunate finish to a match that was well on its way to being a great match. So. Um, you have any other thoughts on Shun Skywalker Ben K? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think it was on its way to becoming a really, really good match and a really kind of a star making performance for both. And 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 that sucks that it got taken away from him. Um, I mean, it'll come. I mean, they're definitely going to play this up. I think this will be an important thing. And 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 this just adds kind of fuel to the fire in, in a weird way. And that's how pro wrestling is so stupid that way. But um, I, I think in a way that sucks that they didn't get their moment. But I think when they want to go back to this match, when they do go back to this match, it will be important. I mean, now when, when Shun's about to hit that move, I mean, that will be a big moment when, when he tries to go for that move or, or whatever. So, you know, in a weird way, they're going to, they're going to make the most out of it. I'm sure it just sucks that that's the circumstances that, you know, had to occur for it to happen. So they need to show him knocking him out over and over yes. for eternity. Yeah. Once I mean, you know that Ben K is hundred percent good and he's fine yes. and he'll be okay. Then yes. Pro Wrestling 101 is now that is our thing. We 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 are going to focus on that for for months and months and months on end until these guys finally face for each years. other again. Yeah, you, you need you need to show that clip of him getting knocked out every time they wrestle for the next decade until people forget that the match continued after that. You need to do. I also want to just add, Masquerade aesthetic is incredible, especially on a big show. When these guys get in there, and um, you know uh, their entrance music. Uh, Shun just comes off like a fucking dude. He's a guy. Mm-hmm. There's guys. He's a guy. He is absolutely a guy. He's got um, his shoulders. And, like and, one, one thing I noticed about him is like his 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 posture is like perfect. He's got those shoulders yes. back. He's standing in front of everybody. You know, it's very clear that he is the leader of this unit. He is the leader of these guys. Yeah, he's got a nice, you know, nice posture. He's got a nice, you know, f- you know, you can't see his face, but you can tell that he's confident. You know, type stuff. So it's perfect. It is a superstar um, aesthetic that they have. This is not deep drunkers. Okay. This is a superstar aesthetic that this isn't windows, whatever other uh, Dragon Gate units over the year. This is a big time unit with a superstar aesthetic. So I just wanted to add that as well. As far as the rest of the show, people are calling it a show of the year contender. Let's pump the brakes. It was a nice little show. I don't think it was a show of the year contender. Um, typical Dragon Gate where the first four or five matches could easily be skipped. They were all fun. I enjoyed every single one of them. Nothing really all that essential and nothing that I would call anything better than okay. Um, the back end of the show, the business end, was very good. Good enough to be show of the year? No. Especially when one half of the main event gets you know knocked out and the mm-hmm. match doesn't even complete. I mean, it, I can't call this – you know. It's not a show to your contender, but it's a very good show, and it's a fun watch from start to finish, and I recommend watching the entire thing. Uh, it really picks up with the Brave Gate match, which is uh, your boy Okuda. And uh, big match, Kaj. Kajitora does it again, He did it? Rich. Oh, he did. I'm so glad he did it. I'm so glad. Four stars, easy notebook. Easy notebook. I might have went four and a quarter. Let me check. Um, Okuda defeats Kajitora. Big match, Kaj does it again. Uh, he just, you know, so many convincing near falls because, you know, Kajitora always has those tricky crucifixes and all those tricky uh, pinning combinations that he uses. And those really work well against a guy like Okuda, who's supposed to be like a shooter. You know what I mean? So uh, they had great chemistry. I got to tell you, 
I like this match better than those Okuda Ashida matches that you were going crazy over. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought it was a, a really great Brave Gate match, and I knew it would be with Kajitora. He's just, he always steps up in the big spot. Yeah, you talk about those pin combos. Like, they almost, every time he hits one of those, I'm always in my head thinking, oh, there's no way this guy's going to be able to kick out. Like, the, I'm always thinking in my head, he's going to try to kick out, but not going to be able to, because Kajitora's kind of so wrapped up. They always do it, though, and is good at kind of letting go of it at the exact same time, too. He's a fucking master of that. Because you look at how yeah. he's tied up, and you're like, there's no way, even if he tries to kick out, he can't kick out. But is perfect at the two. Like, he kicks out when that guy kicks out, too, to get out of it because yeah he twists you in a knot where you're like fuck how's this guy gonna even kick out can he kick out can he move it's uh, i love that stuff and he hits it out of nowhere too you bounce off the ropes and he's all of a sudden got you in some weird crucifix thing and you're pinned you know with your shoulders to the mat he's awesome i love him uji and mochizuki came up short unfortunately <sighs> damn it <laughs> match was fine uh best you could hope for with hulk and kai um yeah it was fine i mean you know it, it didn't derail the show at all and there's a and there's a risk of that with modern hulk where he can derail the show. He didn't. I mean, it's it's nothing to write home about, but it was a perfectly acceptable three-star match. And then the match that everybody's talking about is the uh, the 10-man the tag elimination unit disband match, which was a shit ton of fun. I mean, this is just, you know, Dragon Gate. This is Dragon Gate 101 right here. You know, R.E.D. versus Team Toriumon, and Team Toriumon loses, and they have to split up. Very emotional, great drama. And so well booked. Ata was the first guy eliminated for red. What does that tell you, Rich? The oh, focus is on these young kids. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, you know, so so right out of the gate, they get Ata out of the match. I thought that was brilliant. Um, you know, on the other side, Yoshino is like the first or second guy eliminated. He's retiring next year. You know, he's on the downside. They're not afraid to uh, treat the veterans in this way when they're on the way out. You know, Susumu Yokozuka was another one. He didn't last very long. It came down to Dragon Kid, and Dragon Kid got his mask ripped off, so it kind of had that Desperado vibe from, from last week, where Dragon Kid is out here with the mask hanging off his face and, you know, fighting to keep his unit alive, and then uh, you know, against these cocky young guys, Hip Hop Kakuda, who I finally figured out who he looks like. He looks like Jordan Oliver. Hip Hop Kakuda and oh, Jordan Oliver. Yeah, he kind of does. Are the proverbial brothers from another mother. I mean, those guys are like fucking twins. So he's in there with Kakuda and Ishida and SB Kento, of course. And, uh, you know, all the attention at the end of the match was on SB Kento because he's going to be their next guy and he's going to be a guy. Believe me. Um, comes down the kid and Kento and they do the, they do the train lariat spots, the, uh, the classic Dragon Gate train lariat spots where R.E.D. are delivering the lariats to kid. And then uh, Team Toriyaman reverses, and then they start doing the lariat spots. Last guy in line, okay, is Stalker. So Stalker's the last guy in line to deliver his lariat. And Kento just kicks him in the face. <laughs> you know, Stalker. Then he goes to deliver a lariat, but Stalker ducks and he hits a German suplex. Rich, I came unglued. I came unglued. It's the spot of the year. This loser, this guy, nothing ever works out for him. He's a geek. He's the worst guy in the unit. And he hits the big German and kid goes for the cover. And it's like a 2.9 stalker nearly won it for team Toriumon. What a great fucking moment that was. Who thinks of this stuff? You know what I mean? Like I, I never even would have thought about a spot like that, but it was so brilliantly put together. 
And then, uh, you know, eventually Dragon Kid succumbs and Toriyaman loses. And it's just a great match. Well booked. You know, tons of Dragon Gate. You know, there's guys getting hit, hit in the face with powder and all the usual Dragon Gate bullshit. But it's Dragon Gate. You're going to get that, especially in a match like this. And, um, you know, the right side won. The right people were booked strong. And um, what a great way, really, to end the year. Just a fun match. Just, just It was just great. So, uh, really enjoyed that. And what I would say to you is, you know, definitely go back and watch the whole business end of the card. But I know you enjoy Dragon Gate a lot, so you should just watch the whole thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on it. Yeah, unfortunately, I waited hoping the English because I do love – it's not because I feel like I can't watch Dragon Gate without English. Of course, I've, I've done it for years. I've done it for you know, almost a decade uh, with no English. It's just that I think that they're a really good team. Like, I think Jay and Ho-Ho-Lun are a lot of fun uh, and, and, and really interesting to listen to. Uh, so I was holding out hope, but yeah, now that I know it's over, I'll, I'm definitely going to watch it this week. It's just unfortunate because we're recording this flagship on a Tuesday. I uh, wasn't able to kind of slide it in or, or get it in in time, but no, definitely, definitely going to check out the whole thing. All right, so let's take some Dragon Gate calls. Yeah, we so got we got we got uh, we got two up here. So I'm going to start with uh, Philip. We'll put Philip up here. Long, long time uh, voice of wrestling uh, listener here. Philip, can you hear us? His mic is on mute, but. Should be ready in a second here. Let's see. Let's we'll give him a second. All right, Philip, are you there? Again, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Joe, for the first time. Yeah, what do you think is dragging you, show? He's there, I think. <laughs> Philip, are you there? Yeah. Uh, so you're cutting in and out here, real quick. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna put you down for a sec, or actually, you know, try to talk again and see if we can get things. No, uh, a little bit. Yeah, just uh, yeah. If you're if you're talking, we 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 can kind of hear you, but you're cutting in and out a bunch. Better okay. figure it out again. Oh, whatever you're doing is better. Whatever that was, do that. Okay. All right. So, um, do you think Dragon Gate is the best this year with um, with New Japan kind of? Having a down year, all Japan also kind of having a shit year. Noah, pretty good. and obviously the junior heavyweight stuff, and then you got DDT, which main main card stuff is good, but then the kind of the comedy act, like you know, Toka as a, a sexual Ronald McDonald who is not for every for anybody like the people that don't like, like to see so. Do you think Dragon Gate is the best Japanese promotion this year? Uh, I'm just curious what you guys thought on that. All right. Uh, thanks for the call. Uh, you're cutting in and out, but I think we got the gist of it, so I think we can answer your question. Yeah, uh, I'll put him down uh, on the, uh, the thing. So, But, yeah, great call. Philip's, Philip's awesome, too. He's called in the call. Uh, the, the Q&As before, so I'm, I'm sure it was just his, his phone signal or something like that. So. Yeah, he, call, he calls the yeah, the paywall shows all the yeah, time. Yeah, Always yeah. does a nice job. So his question was, even though he was cutting in and out, Rich, I think he was asking, do we think Dragon Gate is the best Japanese promotion this year? Uh, so, okay, from a strict bell-to-bell perspective, I still think it was New Japan because there was just way too much high-end stuff. I mean, when I look at my notebook, it's just littered with uh, New Japan matches. They they doubled the next closest promotion. So even though I didn't like a lot of the booking in New Japan, I still think the upper tier match quality in New Japan really couldn't be touched by anyone this year right. on a consistent basis. Oh, I 100 percent agree. Yeah, you know, all, 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 you know, 
complaints aside that we have about New Japan, I mean, yeah, you still have, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, which is littered with, you know, four-star plus matches and, and great matches and, and two match of the year contenders. You have the G1, which, you know, that, that you know, had some really, really good stuff in there, too, and a bunch of matches in between that were, that, that were great uh, as well. So, yeah, New Japan, all booking and complaints aside, no, they in-ring, they're still the top dog of, uh, of, of Japan. But, but, and I, I assume there's a but to your conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, I loved Noah this year. I mean, Noah is giving me what I want in wrestling more than New Japan is in 2020. And the high-end stuff is delivering. They're just not delivering in the mass quantities that New Japan is delivering in. Um, and the undercards tend to be a little messy. The, the junior situation is just delved into messy. parody. <laughs> a lot messy. <laughs> with how poorly it's booked. It's just parody at this point. It's impossible to, to invest in it. Uh, Dragon Gate has been the best booked promotion in Japan. If you want to look at it from that perspective, because I love what they're doing. And especially on the back end of the year, I wasn't super hot on Dragon Gate during the empty arena uh, era and the early portions of the pandemic. Yeah, King of Gate. Remember, if, if you remember correctly, we were all in on King of Gate. We were like, let's go. Let's make this a thing. Let's get excited about it. And then like the first show, first two shows came, we were just like, eh, I don't really love it. King of <laughs> Gate was not good. No, it wasn't. And that, that hurt because I was ready to be all in. New Japan was not doing it for me. There was not a whole lot of wrestling that was doing it for me. So we were about ready to get all in on Dragon Gate again. Uh, and it just didn't click and, 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 and it stunk. And then it got kind of passed up by a lot of other stuff. Yeah, King of Gate was not good, and, and I do think the, the atmosphere was part of it, but not all of it. The matches were very listless, and that could have been because the energy of the crowd to feed off of. But, see, Dragon Gate hasn't had a top-to-bottom great year, I don't think, but they've been so awesome in the back end of the year, and the booking, it they're just booking circles around everybody else because they haven't been afraid, push the kids, and if that means beating the veterans, they beat the veteran, and they're not afraid to do it. And I just love that. And uh, we're seeing the results of that. I can't speak on DDT because I don't watch it anymore. A horny Ronald McDonald is not going to entice me to watch <laughs> it. That was not quite the best sell um, job. <laughs> that's exactly why I don't watch DDT. Uh, you know, I drop in for the for the hype main events. You know, I'll you know I like the Masato Tanaka stuff earlier this year, and I enjoyed that story. He had a great match against Takashita that I loved. But I'm not going to sit there and watch DDT shows. I can't do it. It's too goofy for me. It's not for me. Um, and that's okay. Some promotions aren't going to be for you. Um, I thought Big Japan was pretty good this year. I watched a ton of Big Japan during the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, were, Daishi- they were one of our go-tos for sure. And Daishi Hashimoto, I mean, a guy who I've picked on for years, he had a really strong, uh, you know, middle portion of the year as champion, you know, and, and um, there was a lot of good stuff in Big Japan um, this year. You know, Yuya Aoki and, and uh, 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 uh Nomura and, and and some of those guys, the astronauts tag team, and you know, so there there was a there was a lot of good stuff in Japan, and I think um, you know we kind of get bogged down in talking about the booking in New Japan a lot of the time, and and but New Japan in ring, I mean, you know, just compare the G one to King of Gate. I mean, it's not there's no comparison, and that's a year where one block of the G one shit the bed. It was really a one block year for the G one. It still blew away something like King of Gate. So, um, you know, it, it's New Japan's still the best in ring, but I really think Dragon Gate's booking uh, has been the best. And I think, and, and oddly enough, I've enjoyed Noah probably, you know, uh, the most of the three, uh, at least in terms of. Uh, what they do with the top of the card. Yeah, and what I, one thing I'd say about Dragon Gate, and the reason why I, I, I'm you know right now really really into Dragon Gate is 
the ability to, to kind of and, and if you've ever listened to this show, if you listen to the Voice Wrestling Flagship through all these years, one thing we love is like a like structure and hierarchy in wrestling and like a clear idea of who's moving up and who's moving down. But we also love like when you are, are pushing young talent and when you say, you know what, these are our next guys and we're gonna push them to the moon or we're gonna do that. That is always gonna be what you and I are, are love about pro wrestling. It's what, something that, that I love more than anything in pro wrestling is when a young guy or young guys or a young unit or a young group or just a just a whole company wide directive to push new talent, push young talent. That is some of my favorite stuff. And Dragon Gate is doing it with an embarrassment of riches right now. Just an absolute ungodly embarrassment of riches. And there's guys they haven't even shown yet. There's guys potentially under masks in, in, in units right now. They're running, they're going to run, you know, some, I, I, I don't even know if they're going to go on uh, appear on TV, but they're running like a kind of a developmental TV thing. They announced it over this week. I forget the exact terminology, but like they got, they, they have an embarrassment of riches. There's not enough space on their card to push all the young guys they want to push. And that, that gets me energized and gets me excited because nothing in, in, in Porto I love more than, you know, young guys or young lines kind of graduating and, and, and moving up the ladder. It's just it's stuff that I absolutely love. You got to get your Daisuke Sakamoto I'm hard t shirt when you watch Dragon. <laughs> it's got you excited. Right. Uh, we got one more call. You want to want to jump in uh, here with the uh, one more Dragon Gate call here? Let's take another Dragon Gate call and then move on to uh, ROH final battle. Yeah, let's do that. So this is uh, Sobchak. I don't know if I ever pronounce that correctly. I feel bad every time I do it, but I believe it is Sobchak is how you pronounce it. But Sobchak, what's going on? Oh, he's still on mute. There he is. He's off mute. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, hey, guys. How's it going? What's up? How are you? What's up, man? Uh, I just wanted to talk about SB Kento a little bit because that 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 uh, the unit disband match is probably my match of the year. And I... uh, did he cut out for you, Joe? Yeah, he's gone. That's okay. We get the idea. Wait, I think he's back. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if by the way, for people okay. in the future, if you're going to use Discord, the Discord on the phone kind of stinks. So uh, try to try to use it on the computer if you can. But. Gotcha. Basically, I was wondering if you think he's ready for a run as a top guy or as a run as a Dreamgate champ, because it kind of seems like he is to me, and I was just curious to your thoughts. All right, thanks for the call. So let's talk about SB Kento and whether he's ready for the top run. Well, look, what's the rush? Okay, Shun Skywalker, I think, is 24 years old. NK just got elevated last year, and he's still in his 20s. Hasn't even had his 30th birthday. SB Kento is 20 years (laughs) old. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's like... Yeah, it's it's like, um, oh, it's disgusting. He was born in the year two thousand. Oh my god, February, born in the year 2000. February sixth, two thousand. Joe, you, I, I imagine the memories that you have of February sixth, two thousand. Like, what were you doing in in the year two thousand? I'm trying to think. In fe- uh, okay, I tell you, I could tell you exactly what, what I was you doing, doing exactly on. in February of February sixth, two thousand, when SB Kenta was born. I could tell you exactly what I was doing on that day. Watching the Rams beat the Titans in the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Is that the day? Was that on February 6th? It was either the 4th or the 6th. I mean, you would know of anybody, definitely. But let me see. Uh, Rams-Titans Super Bowl. Let us find out. That was on January 30th, 2000. Ah, okay. Goddamn liar. You were at the parade. You were at the parade. You're still partying partying from it. I was still partying hard with the Rams Super Bowl victory over the Tennessee Titans. Mike Jones tackling uh, Kevin Dyson. On the one-yard line, Rich, on the final play of the game. Why didn't the Titans throw the ball into the end zone? I don't know. I still, to this day, have no idea how that play happens. 
Why would you call it? <laughs> yeah, well, all right. What's it to the yard to the goal line? Uh, fifteen. All right, cool. Yeah, run a twelve yard slant. <laughs> like what? Now, to be fair, it took an incredible tackle to keep him one yard shy of the end zone. But why not eliminate that possibility and at least throw the ball into the end zone? Doesn't that drive you nuts? It's third and twelve, and they run like a eight yard curl route. Yeah, it's like, ugh. what are we doing here? Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. As far as SB Kent, though, he's twenty years old. He let Shun Skywalker, who looks like he's absolutely the good, stretch his legs a little bit. Ben K is not going anywhere for the next 10 years. And then, look, it's clear that SB Kento, very clear actually, that of, among this group of you know 10 to 12 young wrestlers that they have is the one that they're highest on. You could just tell by the way he's booked. He's scoring falls over these veterans left and right. He's the focus of matches like this, uh, like this uh, unit disband match that we just saw. So he's slotted ahead of these guys right now, and you don't have to worry about him in terms of whether they're going to keep. The only thing that's going to stop him is an injury, mm-hmm. a debilitating injury, or a bad attitude, something like that. Otherwise, it's full steam ahead. So you got to be a little patient, I think, because you just moved Shun Skywalker into that spot. If you quickly move this guy into the spot, say, you know, two to six months from now or whatever, blurring the optics there. You, you got to let the first guy get over completely. Especially, you know, we still don't have full fans and things like that. Before you start to push on the next guy, you start pushing everyone at once. You're not pushing anybody. So he's 20. He will get there for sure. I'm, I'm confident he'll get there, unless one of those two things I talked about occur. Yeah, and I think the the, the cool thing about what's what's going on in Dragate now is like, and, and you talked about during the U.S. unit disband match, is Red has got an embarrassment of riches of young guys as well. I mean, they have a lot of really good guys they can move up and 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 and, and you know work through. So yeah, you, you one by one have guys leave and 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 guy you know and 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 Ata you know if he's going to continue to be the leader you know he maybe you know a few guys leave here and there and, and whatever but you're, you're building it to the big moment where sb kento turns on him or you know kate or Ata turns on sb kento or whatever but yeah there's no need to have that happen now there's no need to have it happen in a year i mean you have plenty of time uh with this guy who's who's 20 uh years old um so joe uh, unfortunately on uh on this wikipedia he's either born on february 6 2000 or april 6 2000 they list both uh as his birthday which is quite well, confusing so yeah. Because I was going to tell you, on February, way, on February 6, 2000, Joe, you were either watching the NHL All-Star Game, where uh, MVP Pavel Bure from the Florida Panthers, or, yeah. more importantly, you were watching the NFL Pro Bowl from Aloha Stadium. I wasn't watching either of those yeah, I things. I, I don't think in my short. life, I don't think in my life, I've ever watched the Pro Bowl or the NHL All-Star Game once ever, even have, by accident. Have, I don't think I've watched any of those. Have you even channel flipped to an NFL Pro Bowl in the last five or six years? Um, I did watch, I watched like four minutes of one, maybe three or four years ago. And it, the score was like 77 to 65. And like, it was so weird. And I was just, they like cut to the crowd and I'm like, who are you people? Why are you here? Like, what are you doing? None of the good players play. Nobody plays even a, not even an attempt of defense, not even a slight attempt to run into another guy was, it was, it was completely not even happening on this. Which I have news for you. They don't even tackle anymore. Is it serious? Is it like tackle. actually a flag football game? Like you can tackle, but at the first hint of contact, they quickly blow the whistle. Oh dear God! So there's 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 hardly even tackling Ugh. in the game yeah, anymore. Just, what are we doing? Come on! 
Why are they? Why don't they just have a skills competition? That'd be great. I mean, pump why, pa- the pump pass kick. Let's go. Let's go back to a pump pass kick. That'd be fantastic. You know the old quarterback challenge, whatever the fuck. Like do a skills competition. It's 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 just it's it's fucking wild. But no, I never I never watched that shit. I'm not the only All Star game I watch. I watch the uh, MLB All Star game, and I used to watch the NBA All Star game, but I've kind of fallen out on that as well. Even I'm not me. big on. Yeah, I, I I was gonna say I even me I'm, a, I'm I'm obviously a devoted NBA fan or whatnot. I watch like I don't know twenty minutes of the All Star game and I'm just kind of like, all right, I, I get it. <laughs> kind of got good. a taste in it. Yeah, the- yeah. Like I like I like all the I like the theatrics of the Saturday, the dunk contest, the three point competition, all that sort of stuff. Like you said, the skill stuff is cool. It's a bunch of the the best guys in the league doing fun stuff and some young stars doing stuff. But then the All Star game happens and yeah, twenty minutes in after the ninth you know, alley-oop. I'm like, all right, I, I, I think I get it. But MLB All-Star game, yeah, that that is a open, first pitch until the final pitch. I watch every minute of the MLB All-Star game. That is still the one that feels most like it's an actual game still. Yes, it at least feels like a get right. Because you can't really do, you can't really treat baseball like you treat football or basketball where you don't, or, or hockey for that matter, where they don't check. Baseball, you still have to pitch and swing. And catch the ball and throw it the first base. Yeah, it's like, really hard to so try still- less. If you try less in baseball, yes. like you essentially nobody gets a hit. Nobody. It's like you can't try that much less in in, in baseball. You 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 have to give a modicum of effort to, to 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 do it, and 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 that's I think what helps the game a lot. Yeah, for sure. The only person on the baseball field who can try less is the pitcher, and he doesn't want to get bombed. He doesn't want to get embarrassed. What what is in it for the pitcher? You know, to throw 86-mile-per-hour fastballs and groove them down the middle for uh, for Mike Trout. Nothing, except embarrassment. So uh, it's the one game they play. I just struggle with sports that don't count. I never watch preseason anything. Um, I don't watch spring training baseball or preseason football or preseason basketball. If it doesn't count, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I don't know. Maybe it's a me thing. Yeah. Are you into the preseason sports? No, no. I, I watch a little bit of preseason NBA just to like see, you know, like a rookie. Like that. that's the only thing I watch is I want to see the first, you know, appearance of a rookie. Like on my, you know, for the Bulls, it was like Patrick Williams who they drafted this year. I wanted to see because the thing that's awesome about NBA preseason and NBA draft picks is you can tell a guy is going to be good or he belongs in like five minutes. Because you see, and it's like, oh, okay, he can dribble, and he doesn't look like he's completely overwhelmed. And then you see, like, you know, some random number two overall pick, and he's, like, dribbling over himself and getting the ball stolen, and he can't even run, and he looks like he's small. And you're like, oh, that guy's going to be terrible. Like, like the best part of a basketball is, like, you could just see it immediately. Like, this guy's going to be good or this guy's going to be bad. And that, and that I, I, I really do enjoy. And then, you know, uh, but I watch, like, you know, ten minutes of it, and then I'm done. But, yeah, other than that, no, I'm not watching any. Like spring training baseball, I always think I'm going to get into spring training baseball, and I really don't. It, it, it's fine, but I always think I'm. Yeah, I, I watch like the first Reds game, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll sit down and watch. Rich, a half inning in, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm already kind of looking. Yeah, like everybody thinks it's going to be really fun to see. Like, oh, it's number ninety seven. Let's and it's like, so, and you're like, I'm never going to see this guy ever again. Like, why do I? I, just, I don't care. <laughs> like, it's I can't get it. it me, yeah, I, I'm uh, an inning and a half in. I'm 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 out. I just I can't watch it because it doesn't mean anything. Um, I need those stakes. That's why I can't invest in WWE. It all comes back to <laughs> right, right. Michael Horgan's call. Yeah. So Rare of Honor's back. Final battle, which was taped, I don't know, six months ago. When did they tape this? I have no idea. I have no clue when they taped it, but 
Definitely a few weeks ago, right? Didn't they tape it like because uh, wouldn't have Dragon Lee have been cutting it close, getting it back from Japan? Yeah, yeah. Or... They had well because they had guys in bubbles uh, a few weeks ago, so I'm assuming that's when they did it. Um, I, I again, I don't remember exactly when it was taped, but but definitely, yeah, would have been confident. Uh, eh, pretty close. So Wikipedia says December 10th is when they uh, recorded it and then aired it on December 18th. But that I don't know. That seems a little tight too. So I don't know. I'm not sure. All right. Well, if you want to talk final battle, you can hop in line now. I'll run down the card quickly. Um, the, the problem overall that I had with final battle was it had the atmosphere of impact where it was just, you know what this felt like? This felt like impact with good wrestling is what it felt like. So I really struggled with the atmosphere because impacts atmosphere is the shits. So, um, you know, like MLW is piping in. Have you have you watched any Fusion yet? Or no? I have not. Yeah, I, I, I keep forgetting they're, to watch it, but um, I don't know. They're, they're piping in like the ambiance of a crowd. Mm. They're not piping in cheering and booing. It's like a quiet murmur, and it helps a lot. Um, you know, other promotions, we know the strategies they're trying. I still think the best thing to do is put wrestlers or extras at ringside. Like AEW, like what Dynamite was doing yeah. and is still doing. But when they were doing before, they couldn't have any fan. That's the to me the best method. Dragon Gate did that. All Japan did that. Having no one at ringside and just two wrestlers in a ring, it's rough. It's hard. And the wrestling on this show was good, but it wasn't good enough to make up for the the uh, for the atmosphere for me. And there really to me was no great matches on this show. There were a couple of good ones. A shockingly good match, and I really thought the best match on the show uh, for me was the uh, pure title match with Jonathan Gresham versus Flip Gordon. And I wondered if Flip Gordon could work the style. And he actually held his more than held his own. Yeah, he was really good. I I watched the final two matches uh, of the show, and yeah, I was I was shocked. That match was really good. I really liked that. It's my favorite match in the show. Yeah. Oh no, no doubt. It blew it blew the main event away, and the main event was fine. The main event was more of a story than, than an actual, you know, wrestling match t- to me. I mean, there was some good stuff, you know, there were some spots here and there. Uh, but no, I thought Gresham and Flip Gordon was like really, really good wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, a creative finish with the referee stoppage, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and they, they worked to the stip. See, with the pure matches, because there was a pure um, tag team match earlier in the night, too. Um, with the pure, was there a pure match or was that? There on was a the pure TV? tag match. There was a. Yeah, was, there was, was a pure tag. It was on the pre-show though. So I, I, I met you as you as a man yes. who who does his work. You, I'm sure, watched the foundation uh, versus uh, Fred Yehi and Wheeler Utah. It was Tracy Williams and Rhett Titus. That's what it was. The romantic touch. The formerly so, uh, formerly known as the romantic touch and formerly known as ROH, like 20 year veteran at this point. So. Let me tell you something about Rhett, Rhett Titus. Okay, for whatever reason. I'm comforted by him because he reminds me a completely different bygone era of this company. And he's kind of the last link. I mean, I know the Briscoes are there. When I see Rhett Titus, it kind of reminds me, oh, yeah, this is Ring of Honor. Is that weird? Because he's been there since, like, not day one, but, like, 2004. Five, right? Yeah, 2006, 2006 is actually. I, I just wanted to look it up just to make sure because I saw him in dark matches even before he was uh, on yeah. the main show. Yeah, uh, the first uh, first dark match he has against Shane Hagedorn on uh, J- uh, January 27th, 2006. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's like he's a lifer there. And, and, but, but my point about the pure matches is they're really trying hard to establish it. So they're over, they're really overdoing it with the application of the rules. In other words, in every match, both guys use up all their rope breaks. In every match, somebody throws a punch and they get the warning. Like, eventually they're going to have to peel back from that. It's, it, they're overdoing it, and you got Riccoboni screaming about it because they're trying to teach the audience the rules of these matches. So I do think the pure matches were a bit overdone in terms of hammering home with the subtlety hammer, kind of what the rules are. But the Gresham-Gordon match just worked. Uh, much better than I thought it was going to. I think you nailed the main event. Roosh successfully defends the title. That was 16 minutes to get to, you know, Bestia L Ring coming down. Yeah. And, and it, was, it, it was to get to the story. So, look, if it took giving their old man a job to keep these guys. <laughs> do it. Yeah, go for it. Do it. Why wouldn't you do it? I mean, because otherwise we talked about it. You're going to let Roosh and, and, and Dragon Lee walk after getting nothing out of them and paying them for a year. Now you get another year to do the push that you were planning on doing this year. They both retained their titles. Dragon Lee had a really good match against Tony Deppen. Um, Deppen, the surprise winner of the four way, at least a surprise to me, but you called it. I called it. So, yeah. yeah. I always thought, yeah, they've been, they've been doing some, they've been, you know, just following them on Twitter and seeing stuff. It did. It, it felt like Deppen was a guy who, who might be hanging around with that company for a bit. So, which is a good, a good yeah. spot for him, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's the perfect landing spot for him. I would love to get him off of these grimy indies and somewhere where he can work with people at his level and, and have a little bit of direction. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he sticks around. But, yeah, if, if to keep these guys, if you got to bring in their old man, you should fucking do it. You know, you just – and I know it's – he's a meme and, you know, it's – there's there's potential for this to be bad, but – I mean, if that's what it took, if that was the sticking point in a, in a negotiation, to me, it's a no-brainer. Um, the other top stuff, Shane Taylor and Jay Briscoe was fine. The Danhausen match was exactly what you'd think it would be. I'll say this. I really think the Danhausen act works better in this environment. I know it sounds weird. I know this is a promotion where they have pure matches and it's like more serious in-ring. But he acts as a diversion and something different here as opposed to meme act number 17 on a BLP show where you're just inundated with this shit match after match here. He's something different. And as long as he's restricted to the prelims, I don't have a problem with it. Um, they present him different. Like, uh, it's hard to explain, but the production changes when he does his entrance to, to, to sort of meet his, it's hard to, you have to see it. Mm -hmm. I can't explain it. Um, but yeah, I mean, was it way? I mean, match was way too long. They could have done the match in two minutes. They they did ten. Um, and and Mike Bennett's back, and you know, I like the righteous. I'm into. I like Vincent. Balloon guy is still my guy. Uh, and I think I think <laughs> you're, Bateman's a you're, you're ride or die right. with Balloon guy. I like it though. I, I like Balloon guy. I think there's something to him. I mean, he's a nice look. I'm not saying you put your world title on him. He's a nice mid carder. No, it, it's uh. I'm sticking with Balloon Guy and uh, Ray Horace, Dalton Castle. I mean, Dalton Castle, one, you know, time off didn't help him. He's still, a, you know, broken shell of a man. And then uh, Lethal and Gresham successfully defended the tag titles against the makeshift team of Mark Briscoe and PCO. 
So um, I forgot PCO existed. I you know until this show, I, I forgot the man existed. So that was that, and uh, that was final battle. It was a hard watch because it was way too long. It was four hours long. Oh four hours God. long. No, was it really? From pre-show to main uh, event, yeah. And yeah. you know there was no fans, and it's the dry atmosphere. Man, if this were a neat and tidy two and a half hours, I mean that's where they need to live right now. Two and a half hours. They don't need to be four hours long. But they just came back and they're trying to get you know get every all yeah they're trying to get everybody on the show yeah. they're trying to yeah tell story I, I get it I understand but yeah there's there's just especially if you're gonna do the warehouse wrestling style where you're not gonna have fans you're not gonna be at a venue you're not gonna have video you're not gonna be outdoors if you're doing warehouse wrestling two hours man two hours two and a half hours get in and out it is it's hard it's a hard watch I I, I yeah I did not know when four hours that is that's pretty wild yeah there's no need for that. So with a couple of minutes left in the show, we'll do open phone lines. We'll open it up. Any topic you want to talk about. If you want to talk about ROH Final Battle, if you want to talk about TLC or Dragon Gate or anything else in the world of wrestling, uh, try to keep it to current events if you can. Uh, you can hop on now. What about Christmas? Can they call about Christmas? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I got all my shopping done like I said I would. So you did. Okay. I, people were A lot of people were worried after the show. Uh, that you were not aware of the current shipping times and, and the delays and uh, in, in stuff. But everything's everything's gotten to where it needs to get to. It's wrapped up. It's ready to go. Or are you just are you just, do people just get an Amazon box from Joe Lanza and just open it, and then that's their gift? Yeah, it took me 15 minutes. I went on Amazon, clicked here, clicked there, had everything sent. It all got here, and there you go. I don't wrap anymore either. You know what I do? I've uh, discovered a gift bag. I just throw everything in the <laughs> You're a bag. gift bag guy, yeah. I, uh, I, I used to abuse the gift bag, and, and, and Michelle is not a gift bag fan. She she wants me to wrap it. So now what I do, I troll her by I, – I, I do a gift bag, but then I wrap the gift inside the gift bag <laughs> just to troll her a little bit. Cause, like, ah, that's funny. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know if she could hear. But, like, yeah, what I do – I got she's, the other day I put one out, and she's like, ah, oh, fucking bag. Come on. I'm like, well, yeah, just wait and see. Just wait and see. She is uh, not into yeah. uh, the, the gift bags, so. But I, I appreciate. I understand the point of the gift bags. It, it is. It saves an ungodly amount because there's nothing worse than wrapping gifts. I'm terrible at it. Everybody knows I'm terrible at it. They get my gift and they go, "Oh, you're terrible at wrapping." It's, I know. I know. <laughs> That's why I give you gift bags, like you know. Yeah. Sitting here dopey with a fucking scissors and my tape. Get out of here. I'm not spending my time doing this. Bullshit. Yeah. No. Listen, the Amazon's incredible. I mean, you get the shit like the next day. I mean, what a what a phenomenal site. What's the link for Amazon, Rich? Well, if you are a way late shopper, way way too late in the game here, voicesofwrestling dot com slash Amazon uh, is is the link there. Voiceswrestling dot com slash Amazon. So if you fucked up and somehow completely forgot, um, I don't know if you're getting it anymore. Well, if you get a Prime, if there's an item that's on Prime, you might still be able to get it, but. Uh, uh, maybe you have to repent for uh, uh, fucking up on Christmas so you can buy something after Christmas as well. But voicerestin.com slash Amazon is the link uh, uh, to use. If you're that. listening live, you'll get it. Yeah, if you're on if you're on delay on the podcast feed, you're fucked. So um, certain item like you gotta be like they'll tell you. Like when you click the item, it'll say will arrive before Christmas. And some of them don't say that. So you just don't you, you don't, don't get buy that those. Shit. Yeah, you're not buying that shit because I don't want to come after Christmas. It's no good. <laughs> Nobody wants that. So. Buy something else, you know? <clears throat> All right. You ready for a caller here? All right, let's take a call. Let's do a call. We got Danny on the line. Danny, how's it going, man? Hey, guys. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for all the support, by the way. Oh, no problem. Yeah, sorry to hear about uh, about your grandmother, but uh, glad to hear you're doing well. 
I'm doing real well. I really appreciate it. Um, my question more leans in the lines of cl- classic wrestling, of course, because um, everything that I've been watching recently has been classic wrestling um, because of what I do, obviously. I'm not, I have to pay for the plug, but <laughs> but um, I am more of a sense of urgency guy when, when it comes to wrestling. I, I sort of asked this question to Rich on a Q&A previous, but I wanted Joe's opinion on this. Um, what do you look for when rating a match? You know. All I, right. Um, I could I could answer that for you. Thanks for the call. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, Have a going, Danny. Yeah. Take care, man. I don't really look for specific things. I just watch the match and then a number pops in my head. I, 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 I wish I had a more creative answer, but I watch a match. I don't really, I'm not really thinking about it. I mean, towards the end of the match, sometimes I'm thinking to myself, Oh, this has a chance to, you know, crack the notebook or this has a man. This is, if this ends well, this could be a five-star match. But most of the time I just watch a match. And then when the match ends, I get a feeling. I think to myself, ah, that's a two-star special or about three and a half. Or See, a lot of times I'm not even rating matches. I've been thinking about a rating unless I know the match is great. Then I start to think about the rating. If I'm just watching Dynamite or Raw or, you know, some random show, I mean, I'm not even thi- you know, I'm not thinking about rating the best friends versus uh, Jurassic Express match that I'm watching unless it happens to be great. Then I start thinking about, all right, well, how great was it? But if it's not, and I'm not doing a review, I don't sit there after every match and say, oh, was that two and a half or two and three quarters? I don't do that. Do you do that, Rich? I don't. Yeah, I'm the same way. A match ends and I just think, ah, that's five stars. Or, ah, that's three stars. Or, oh, that's four. Like, five is tough because that's, like, to me, it has to be. It's like, oh, was that a five star? And, and like, you know, that's the, the, the only time I really ever truly think of a match rating is if I'm going to go five on it. And I say, okay, is that a five star match? Do I think that right now in this moment – if I have to put five stars on it, do I believe that? Do I do do I feel it? Am I just saying it to say it? And if I go through all those checks and I say, yeah, no, it's it's still five, then then yeah, it's just easy to make it a five and or whatever. But yeah, more times than not, I watch a match and I just go, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of the match. Three and a half stars, you, you know. And that that's as much thought as I, go, I I put into it. Some people, it is it, it. I think people think that we're those people because we talk a lot. We talk about ratings a lot. We talk about our ratings a lot. You talk about your notebook, all that sort of stuff. But we're I I really don't think we're that serious about it. Whereas like you read some people and they're like, well. I was going to give it three and a half and then they did this. So then I made it a three. I'm like, I don't never think of that. It's just like when it's over, I just, whatever number pops in my head and that's it. And and what that leads to is sometimes there's matches that like I look back at and I'm like, God, that, that, that four stars. I didn't really like that match all that much. Or, you know, Hey, I like this match a lot better. And I gave that match three and a half and I gave that match four. Cause I don't really have like a set criteria or a set list or whatever. So yeah, it results in some matches maybe being ranked, you know, not where I'd probably have them if, if I really sat down and thought about it for a while, but that just seems boring. I'm not going to spend all my time sitting down, and, and I'm especially not, as you said, going to watch old wrestling or watch, um, you know, uh, TV wrestling and give a rating to, to something like that. Like, for the purposes of, like, the Patreon, I will give star ratings on, like, these old best of the Super Juniors or whatever that I'm watching, but more times than not, I'm, I'm popping on the network and watching some random fucking old pay-per-view. I'm not sitting down and going, oh, this Rick Martel versus, you know, oh, that was a three-and-a-half star match. It's like, no, I just watch it, you know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes that's that's better, just to sit back and, and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think, you know, there's certain elements that... Uh, there's some matches, and I think we just talked about this, or at least I did when we did our guest spot 
on Omakase over the weekend. I don't know if that show has dropped yet. But uh, not yet, hasn't. but pretty soon, pretty soon. And it'll be out there soon. And I think I we kind of talked about this topic, or at least I did towards uh, at some point on that podcast. But there are certain elements that give certain matches advantages. When sure, it comes it's what you to, like. Yeah, what the stuff you like or, or the things. Yeah, that's always going to rank. Well, investment is always going to matter. Is always going to be super important. I mean, I can parachute into stardom some match that everybody's raving about it's going to be harder to impress me because i have zero investment and don't know anything about it coming in now the match can still be great the match can still have a five-star ceiling it's going to have to do it solely and entirely on the work because the investment isn't there so investment is super important the other thing is you know fairly or unfairly a big time world title main event big you know on a big show in front of a big crowd type of match is going to inherently have advantages over you know the third match out of the curtain on an indie show with 76 fans that doesn't mean the third match out of the curtain on the indie show can't be better than the world title main event but it's it's fighting an uphill battle because all of those things matter stakes environment crowd heat investment um you know and the less of those things that you have working for you the harder it is to be a truly great match right but it doesn't mean that you can't be it just it means it's harder to get there so um you know i all of those things influence what i'm gonna rate a match as well but you know it's uh at the end of the day, though, it's like I said, I'm not really – I don't have a formula. It's just a feeling. And, you know, Dave Meltzer has said this before. He says the match ends, he has a feeling, he writes it down, and he never thinks about it again. It's just what was it in that moment. Now, I will say this. There's which, times where I watch Which is amazing because everybody always thinks about Dave's ratings constantly. You know what I mean? Like, you're yeah. obsessed with them. And it's like, yeah. you're, you're going nuts and you're screaming on Twitter for weeks on end. And this dude doesn't care at all. He just puts no. a rating down and then moves on. He life. doesn't remember ratings he gives. Like, people ask him. He's like, he doesn't remember. Like, he doesn't even remember what he rates certain matches. But, um, what was I going to say? I, I, I lost my train of thought. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of like, uh. That's my that's my match rating theory, I guess, is that I don't really have one, even though you know, there's obvious factors that are going to give a match an inherent advantage or disadvantage. All right, so we'll go to uh, Michael here. Uh, put him on the line in a second. Uh, Michael, what's going on? I believe he's on mute for a second. But yeah, yeah, give him a second. You know what it is? There's a they they have that slight uh, delay before yeah, they get yeah, on. It's, it's so. fair. We let him. We'll, we'll, hey, we'll wait decide. a minute. This guy was on already. Well, he's he's double dipping. I made sure he, <laughs> he buried you. So maybe he's coming for another. Yeah, I'll let him double dip. It's it's Christmas. It's fine. I I also wanted to say, Joe, that we do appreciate the fact that you joined that 1.5 million and fall on that particular grenade <laughs> for this. all of us. Look at this brown noser. Nah, tell him. Probably. Not only is this guy coming, double dipping and coming on again, he's continuing the same conversation. <laughs> he's got a story. He's telling, he's telling stories out here. I like it. I appreciate it. Callbacks. Callbacks. No, actually, just a quick question that I know you've both talked about how New Japan is now a heel heat promotion. Do you have more hope for the Empire since they have been winning these matches clean on these Korokins? 
Or do you think the minute that it's time for Osprey to be in the main event, they're just going to be looking like Bullet Club looks now when it comes to the main event and right back to heel heat? All right. I'm glad he, I'm glad you asked that. And thanks for the call. Because I did watch the two Corrigans from, uh, from the last couple of days, and I was very encouraged by what I saw. Because Rich, Empire hardly ever cheating to win these matches really okay that's good Um, i like it's it's there's very little of that there's been almost none of it there's been none of it in a lot of their matches uh there was none of it really in the world tag league there was none of it in the first match where osprey came back um so that's encouraging because i feel like new japan has enough wrestlers and enough units where that are centered around shenanigans and cheating and they don't need them all to be that way. You can be a heel simply by being an asshole. And I think that the Empire is getting over the idea that they're pieces of shit just fine without using uh, cheap heat to achieve that. It's you know Jeff Cobb is wrestling like a heel. Ocon is so obviously a heel. Will Ospreay is cutting heel promos and. They're 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 attacking Tanahashi with a chair after these matches. They got him again on the first Corkin show. They attack Tanahashi again, and they uh, Okada is checking on Tanahashi in the post match. Empire music is playing, and that little shit Osprey sneaks back into the ring. And I saw a gif of it and it looked fucking awesome. Yeah, incredible. I mean, he just sneaks back into the ring like a snake and hits a hidden blade on Okada. And then this great camera shot of Tanahashi and Okada, both the two most iconic stars in the company, both laid out, knocked out on their ass, left laying by Empire. That's all you need. That makes them heels. Shit like that. You don't need B Priestley tripping people from the outside or guys hopping up and using garrote wire. You don't need it. So. Very encouraged by that. Yeah, just be shitheads. Just be shitheads. Just be shitheads. It's not hard. Be shitheads. Ocon is, 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 from what I've seen, he's like cutting his promos on the ramp because you know the crowd's quiet and he doesn't have. Any, but he's just he's just a shit talker. He's just talking shit. Osprey's being an asshole, running in the ring, beating guys up after the match. Jeff Cobb's just wrestling like an asshole. Yeah, just be shitheads. That's that's all that you need to be. You don't need grot wires. You don't need run-ins. You don't need matches. And and I just I I, I don't get it. I just don't get why they decided to go on this path they did with with. with with evil and, and so many other guys uh, on this roster when, when you can just do it. So yeah, I don't, well, to his question, do you think that once they move Osprey up that they go to that? Or do you think this establishes pretty early on that that's not good? Cause bullet club has been this way since almost day one. I mean, this has been the entire point of bullet club is that they were chicken shit assholes that, that ran in and, and, and did that sort of stuff. Do you think though, that when Osprey gets pushed that they, they will keep what they're doing right now? Or, or do you think they'll, they'll turn on it and, and, and start making them a, a chicken shit? I don't know, but I don't trust them. I I mean, that's my honest answer. I don't know. I hope they're not a cheating unit, but I don't trust New Japan. Yeah. They're, they're just – it's a heel heat promotion now. We were warned before this all happened that they were going to lean harder into this, and it has played out exactly that way. Um, you know, the people in charge believe in it, so I don't trust them. So we'll see. I mean – you know, it tends to be cyclical with the different units. Like, uh, dangerous techers are clearly positioned as the baby faces in their matches at the dome, especially if you've watched the Corrigans. And they're in Suzuki Gun. That I mean, there are Suzuki Gun acts right now that are sort of baby faces in the current cycle. 
just based on how things, you know, Bullet Club are firmly heels, Empire are firmly heels. Suzuki Gun is kind of like a murky one. I mean, they're still obviously heel leaning, but Techers are are being treated like baby faces in this feud with Gorillas of Destiny. So, when things tend to shift and move around, you know, we'll see how they handle Empire long term. Um, it always has to be a concern and you know something that you keep at arm's length. So I don't I don't know the answer to that. I don't have a good feel for it. But the early signs are encouraging. Yeah, that that is good. That that so far they've kept it away. Um, I would I would think that if that, if that's what you're going to establish, that you're going to stay that way. And I think there's enough heat with those guys that you don't necessarily. I I, I don't know. I mean, it, and to the, to the point that you know I made like Bull Club from day one, it, it was always that kind of stuff. Even even going back to the Finn Balor days, it was is or, or Prince David rather, uh, it it was that sort of stuff. And then they, AJ we talked about with the Udro thing, and they never got away from that. They kind of that was kind of always Bullet Club's thing. And then it grew, and then obviously Suzuki Gun started doing it more and more, and more and more you know units started to do it. But I I am encouraged though that they haven't done that so far with them, and. <sighs> Like I said, I can't trust. I can't. I can't tell you right now on this day. There's no chance in hell that they're going to start doing that. Like I, 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 you know, I have to be proven that they're not going to do it. But it is encouraging that they haven't stooped to that low uh, already, especially in this year where it seems like they've le- leaned so heavily on that. To not do that with the Empire seems it seems to a sign to me that 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 obviously they're going to treat them with a little bit more care and they realize that you know getting them over is going to be a lot better if they're just shitheads as opposed to, you know, cheating heels or whatever, which is 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 always true, by the way. But, you know, sometimes other companies have <laughs> decided not to do that. So, Yeah, so uh, that's it. We're pretty much out of time. We are pretty much done that. here. Yeah, we got a, a couple minutes. Real quick, I was going to ask you. I asked you on, on Thanksgiving about this as well. What is on the menu? Because, Joe, you, you're a, a, a cook, a connoisseur. What is on the Christmas menu uh, for one Joe Landis? Making a ham. Okay, classic ham. Do you do it? Do you just grab the bag of whatever fucking glaze they, they gave you, or do you do you make your own thing? Because that that was my, my question. Because we have oh, I so make, you, do you do make your own? So we have a bag of some bullshit glaze, and in, 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 that's that's sitting. That in... That works just the same. I mean, because what's going to be in the bag? It's going to be the shit that you're going to use to make your own anyway. I think so. I, yeah, I don't know. I didn't buy it, but I'm just like, what is this? Like, come on, you're not going to make your own glaze? And she's like, no, it's just like whatever. I just we never host. We never host uh, uh, Christmas. By the way, we usually I usually go places for Christmas. Christmas Day we go to her parents' house. This is the first time that we're having Christmas Eve here. So I'm a little nervous about this ham that I I've never cooked a ham before. I've never cooked like a full on ham before uh, by myself. So I was a little nervous. So I was going to ask you if, uh, some tips. Why don't but... you just get one of those spiral hams that's pretty much cooked already that you're just heating up? Why I think that's why. That? I think that's what we got here. I I, I don't know. Oh, well, exactly then it, listen, true. there's no reason to be nervous because that's basically just heat and eat. Like, you know what I mean? Those are like designed for people who aren't sure how to cook a ham because you just have to stick it in the oven until it's warm. You know, the only danger with that is not overcooking it, you know, so um, you, you should be fine. And, yeah, the glaze that comes in those packets, I mean, that's just going to be the same brown sugar slash whatever that you're going to use if you're going to make your own anyway. So, I mean, I'm not a big ham guy, so that's why it's like it doesn't really – you could use the pa- – it doesn't make a difference, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. to me. Because I'm not – you know, I would never – I would never cook a ham unless it was Christmas – and you know TLB wanted ham, so I'm making a fucking ham. You know, you just <laughs> I love it. The passion, <laughs> making the, yeah. I'm making the fucking ham. Yeah. If you had your choice, what would you make on this day? Would you go with, uh, Italian? Would you go with another turkey? Like, what would you, what would you do if it wasn't TLB's choice is to have a fucking ham? Well, the traditional Italian Christmas is seven fishes. I don't know if you know anything. About I don't. That. I'm interested though. So, 
if you Google it real quick, it's just Italians. Their their gimmick on Christmas is the Feast of the Seven Fishes. So most you know it's supposed to be seven particular fish but most people just pick their own you know and it kind of gets extended out like a lot of people will cheat they'll do shrimp and clams and stuff like and crab and count that as a oh, fish it's incredible man i wish i yeah, yeah the feast I of I the seven italian fish. this looks a lot better than the bullshit i have to eat at christmas usually so yeah so there have been years i've done that but th- at the same time I'm not real great at cooking fish. Yeah, I don't do have cook, a lot of different fish. How do you cook fish? all these different types of fish in one day? Like, cooking a lobster is such an intensive thing compared to cooking a, a fucking whatever, sea bass or whatever the hell this I'm, I'm looking at a looking at a plate right now, and it is. It looks, there's fucking clams, there's caviar, there's lobster, there's crab, there's some big trout or something like that in the middle of the table. Man, that's, that's exhausting. Cook all that stuff at once. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it can be, but you know that's you know big holiday meal. So feast of the seven fishes. You know you make a uh, wish I was Italian. uh, Seafood fradivola. There's a lot of different ways you can go. So um, no, and then that there that that dish alone you can knock off four or five because you get the shrimp, the mussels, the scallops. You know um, the scungili. You do a little scungili. You into the scungili, Rich? I don't think I've ever uh, had. uh, I've never had the pleasure. I don't think so. Uh, you know, so what is, what, what, I don't uh, even know what that is. What is skinjuli? <laughs> say it again. Uh, skinjuli is that how you say it? Skunjili. Skunjili. Yeah, I'm not going to say it with the enough. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's similar to 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 uh, to calamari or squid or something like oh, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like a conch, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, that's the kind of thing you have. Um, you know it, it, that could eat up one of your seven fishes if you're doing the the, the feast of the seven fishes. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, so some years I do that, but it, it as you can see, it's a lot of work because yeah, you're, you're preparing a bunch. Of <laughs> I would definitely just throw a ham in there, throw some fucking a packet of well, glaze it, on it, it, and call it, it a day while you go watch. You know, because <laughs> there's football on this uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, right? Christmas, yeah. It, it, it's COVID, so it's just kids so i'm not gonna make us uh yeah they're, the not seven fish. yeah they're not gonna care about the fucking muscles and <laughs> For the... squid that you have at the table yeah you, you try to get a four-year-old to eat scungili i mean you know <laughs> right. good luck with that you know, what did so... they get mac and cheese they'll, they'll eat the ham though right they'll, they'll they'll take down some ham the girl will eat the ham the boy is gonna have peanut butter and jelly That's <laughs> fantastic yeah, peanut butter and jelly or... so is that all does he is he like a mac and cheese uh, chicken fingers uh, no. uh, nuggets he's just peanut butter and jelly now he's in that phase where all he will eat is peanut butter. He eats God. peanut butter and jelly for ninety percent. Well, breakfast he'll eat different things. Like he'll eat uh, cereal or muffins or pop tarts or whatever. But the other two meals, ninety <laughs> percent out of them, God, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, he calls it a sandwich. Okay. Oh, so he, he thinks it. every sandwich is a peanut butter and jelly now. So I'll say, what do you want for lunch? Sandwich. There, sandwich. Like you had that for lunch. He doesn't care. That's what he wants, mm. and he won't eat anything else. I made him fish sticks tonight. Classic child cuisine. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Every every kid likes fish sticks. Didn't take a bite. <laughs> not a single bite. What did he declare his, his 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 unhappiness with it, or did he just like not even touch it? I disappeared from the table. We we're like, where'd he go? <laughs> he, he's just gone. He's on a like, hunger he's strike. He's on a hunger strike. I love it. We're like you didn't eat your dinner. Like. What do you you know? Eventually, we got him to eat some yogurt and a banana. Okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Because he had to eat something, right? But he wouldn't eat the fit. Like he wanted, a, he wanted peanut butter jelly. I was like, you've had it like seven straight meals. 
we got to mix this up. So I got him to eat the like he'll eat yogurt and fruit, you know. So some that but that's breakfast stuff. But sometimes for dinner, to avoid more jelly so he doesn't get diabetes, all the sugar. Sometimes I'll just give him a plate of fruit. I'll give him a plate full of blueberries and bananas and yogurt, and he'll eat, he'd rather eat that. He won't eat meat. Bizarre. So <laughs> I just love the idea. That, I, I love the idea of you doing the feast of the seven fishes, and then also <laughs> making this kind of peanut, you know, peanut butter and jelly. That'd be yeah, incredible. Yeah, you're jelly. spending all this time, you know, making all this shit, and then you know, slapping down some. Are we talking just straight grape jelly? Like, because I'm, I'm a peanut butter and jelly fan. I won't lie. I, I, one of my one of my favorite, you know, foods to have at lunch at work when I'm just kind of like don't really feel like doing anything. But uh, straight grape jelly, or do we have fun like interesting jellies, or does he just like it pretty normal? Wow, grape jelly in the house. Mm. So what's he at? What's he got there? Apricot, <laughs> poison Gotta berry, what's he... strawberry. But I will. I won't. I won't allow grape jelly in that. Well, you're you're a good father. Yeah. No. No kid should I'm have to only. No. Yeah. I, there's there's people I know that are just like you know because I, I I never I never have grape jelly either. I always have just some. What I'll do is I'll go in the aisle and find like a jelly that I've never heard of or never had before, and and that's like my jelly then that I'll have. And people are always like, "Oh no, grape! What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Why would I eat grape jelly? I'm an adult <laughs> with a yeah. job. Like, why would I do that?" Grape jelly's for pores. Let's be honest. <laughs> I have a job, man. I'm, I'm going to eat this apricot jelly. Like, come on. I, I love how we bring up Feast of the Seven Fishes, and you know who pops up in the chat room? Vinny Massaro. Oh, my God. There he is. Yes. Yep, there he is. You think he eats a pizza never, on, on Christmas Day? Never know who's listening. As soon as we talk about Vinny the Feast Massaro, of the Seven Fishes, yeah. Vinny Massaro pops up in the chat I room. Thought, I thought he'd be busy he, today, but I guess not. So. He pops up to declare that he hates bacala. So there you go. That's another what's, Italian what's, what's fish. Bacala, yeah. Well, you're not a Sopranos watcher. There was Bobby Bacala. It's a character in the okay, Sopranos. Okay. The Bacala, the Bobby Bacala was named after the, the Italian fish, you know, Bacala. So, um, you know, like he's a fish. He's a mutt. Like he's a dummy. He's Bobby Bacala. Got it, got you know? it. Okay. His last name's Bacalieri. Is it like a shitty, is it like a shitty fish? Like what, what type of fish is it? Yeah, like a shitty, it, no one really likes Bacala. It's like just traditional, you know? So, you know, they call him Bobby Bacala because his name is Bacalieri, and he's like kind of a dope. So now he's Bobby Bacala. But anyway, Vinny Massaro he pops in the chat room to declare, <laughs> I hate Bacala. So there you go. I wish we had time for him to call in. I would go. love to talk to Vinny Massaro on this night about uh... about Feast of the Seven Yes, fishes, right? yes. I, now that I've learned about this, you know, the, the, yeah. a, a, an Italian has entered the chat, and now I'm interested in talking. Comes out of nowhere. Was he listening the whole night and just waiting for that discussion? That, that, you know, That's night? what piqued his interest. So, I got Gerard you know, Detrolia. Oh my god, it's a takeover now. He got fucking here come the Italians. <laughs> yeah, here they what come. The hell? Jesus. Now Detrolio's in there. He's, he likes the bacala. Oh, see? it's cod. Oh yeah, yeah. cod kind of stinks. Cod's like when you have nothing better, you go to cod. Yeah, that's. Listen, he taught the world how to eat. What can I say? You did. I, hey, I loved it. When I went to Italy, I, I gained at least thirty pounds. I think just with in a week. Like you could see the progression of when we arrived in Rome. And then when we so we went to Rome and then Florence and then the Amalfi Coast or whatever and you could see as the pictures are going on that Michelle and I are getting fatter and fatter every single day. By the final day, we don't even look like the same human beings because we're just eating constantly. Because how do you not? The city is on you. You uh, especially in Rome, like you'd walk a block and this amazing smell would come and you'd be like, I need to have whatever that is, and you'd sit down and you'd eat. And they'd fill you with bread and fill you with wine and fill you with you know gelato. You move on to the next thing. 
that here's more food. Like we ate like four meals a day, four or five meals a day. It was ridiculous, but God, it was great. So thank you guys for, for doing that. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the one Italian thing that I just, I won't touch it is the dandelion salad. I can't eat that. That's it's that that's going too far. Um, maybe, maybe the, uh, maybe that'll blow up the chat too. But, um, basically you're eating weeds how can you eat that shit like i will i will say there was the the, the salads were a problem uh in in italy i did not like the salads at all so see i think i think dandelion salad uh, italian american thing because i think it's one of those meals that the immigrants ate when they were poor well they because why else would you eat they were pretty heavy on the uh what is arugula i think they were pretty heavy on uh, in when when we were in Italy, a lot they, they called it rocket salad there. Every time we were there, I don't know if that was actually the the true name or just like the translated name, but it was like a lot of arugula. It's, it, it's so it's a it's a step up over dandelion salad, but like not much yeah. step up. It, it was pretty it was pretty bad. There's pasta fazool, which is just bean soup. Yes, but again, I think that's that's an American Italian American creation. I think that was immigrants. All they could afford was beans. They did the best they could. I think you eat that shit in Italy. Like, I don't, like, in Italy, you know what I mean? I think that's, like, an Italian I did not American. see any bean soup when I was there, I will tell you that. Yeah, not that I was, I was looking for it on the menu, but I uh, I did not see any bean soup when I, when I was there. Yeah, so. so you go to an Italian restaurant, there's a lot of items on the menu that aren't really authentic Italian meals. They're more Italian-American. Right, it's like, well, you go to a Chinese place, and, like, 90% of what's on your Chinese restaurant menu is just, like, fucking American-made, you know. Hey, it's chicken, and we deep fried it, and we put some sauce on it. There you go, you, you asshole. You know, it's like my grandmother. She she would eat chicken feet, you know, because they were poor, and they and she grew up on them, and she kept eating them as an adult. And all my, you know, my father and my aunts and uncles would always tell her, they're like, "Ma, what are you eating chicken?" Feet? <laughs> we, we, not, have, we have jobs. We can pay for real food. You're not desolate anymore. You can buy a fucking chicken breast. Like you don't have to eat the chicken feet. But but she grew up on that because her parents were off the boat and didn't have any fucking money, and they ate chicken feet. You know, so because that's what the butcher had. That was the cheapest shit that the butcher had in nineteen fucking twenty. You know, so I think that that kind of happens as well. Yeah, I think, but, I think I'm good on chicken feet. I don't think I'd ever. Uh... It's just skin. Like there's no meat on it. Like I've I've obviously eaten it because I grew up around. It's just you're basically just bones are real thin and brittle and it's just skin there's like no it just tastes like chicken skin sounds terrible she would make it in marinara sauce so okay. you're just eating chicken skin in marinara marinara sauce. it's just it's okay. an awful all right meal. all right like, I, uh, you're, you're you're winning me over a little bit but i'm, I'm not gonna try it anyway so that, that, that's here's the thing about it it's not gross but why would you eat it right right <laughs> yeah, the the like, look of it is gross if you if you just put it in a meal and, and didn't tell me what it was i'd probably be fine with it but yeah, it looks like I? a fucking bird claw. Like, <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty tough. It's a tough look. Yeah, it's like grape jelly. I have a job. I don't have to eat this shit anymore. So exactly. All right. So, well, that is it for this show. I uh, thank you everybody for uh, your calls. Thank you, of course, for listening. Uh, you did not get a chance to bury uh, "Wonderful Christmas Time," but I think people know what a horrid song that is. Um, don't listen to it on Christmas. Don't listen to it on Christmas Eve. Don't subject your kids or your wife or your family to that horrible, horrible song. But. Uh, uh, any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, we bid adieu for for a week for the holidays? No, oh, next week will be the big Wrestle Kingdom preview. So yeah, get excited! It's one of our, our biggest shows of the year every single year. Uh, more times than not, I mean, sometimes we'll jump in with like a topic or two, uh, but for a lot of that, I mean, the past few years it's been three hours previewing Wrestle Kingdom, and now they have two Wrestle Kingdom shows. So 
Uh, there's a good chance the entire show will just be a Wrestle Kingdom preview. So uh, look out for that sometime next week, obviously, with the holidays. It'll, it'll all be kind of tricky. I don't even – I mean, we could do an on-air production meeting right now. I don't even know when New Year's is. It doesn't – I guess it really doesn't matter, to be honest. Like, <laughs> always just a, It's always just a week after Christmas, buddy. Seven yeah, straight Thursday. Days. Oh, yeah, Thursday, Thursday. All right, well, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll find a day. So. Yeah. Anyway, that is it for us. So uh, have a Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Diwali, all the things that we talked about, Three Kings Day. Boxing Day, have all that fun stuff. But uh, anyway, that's it for us. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech. We'll talk to you next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.